speaking of Neymar and Co., you laugh at the Chicago Fire Legend thing, but Premislav Frankowski has more goal involvements than Messi and Neymar combined. Hey. So, I mean, he's obviously the best player in the world. I don't know why you're, like, bugging. <laughs> everyone welcome to hardcore football it's your host phil bakia and uh i'm joined as always by my co-host mika burrell mika uh how uh how are you how are you now that this weekend of just madness is <laughs> on the football side is over how was how was the weekend how how's the start of the week oh the weekend was fantastic <laughs> <laughs> um for reasons that we will sh- soon get into, but yeah, no, yeah. it was it was good. So much good football across across Europe. Um, yeah, it was it was really good. Um, just a really entertaining round. Um, yeah. And the week started off all right. Was t- you know, for a Monday, it went kind of fast, so I can't complain. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely uh, vibe with that. I think this uh, this weekend was random. Like uh, my wife booked this Airbnb and didn't tell me anything about it, like on purpose for like Uh, a while. And we ended up like in the middle of nowhere, Ohio in a town called Minerva in the middle of like their biggest like thing of the year, which is this like huge car show, which we're like not car people. And we did not like plan around this, (laughs) Um, but it was like it was pretty cool, and like the the Airbnb we stayed in was like attached to the brewery that was on the like main street of this. Uh, yeah, I've seen this on your Instagram. Yeah, yeah. So it was cool. Like, how was the beer? It was good. They had a lot of they had a lot of different like a lot of different stuff. Like, really solid brewery for being like completely in the middle of nowhere, but. Yeah, it was it was cool and like they had whatever nice. like they asked you ahead of time like a beer to have on tap like in the room, which was cool. Like um, Oh, so it was like part it was like a thing. Like Yeah, it was like it, part of, of the brewery. There. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. Um so anyways, totally random thing, but well, I got out to take Minerva, in Ohio. <laughs> yeah. And I got to take in the the football in, in some nice, nice cozy surroundings, um, with the sounds of whatever revved up engines and like whatever <laughs> the hell else, just like classic cars. Um, nice. and, uh, but yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I still did get to take in a lot of the football and, and what a joyous weekend of football it was. Um, and, uh, we'll dive into it. We've got tons, tons and tons to cover. We've got, we've got the, the premier league, La Liga serving up some some tastiness as well. Serie A had had uh, a great derby of their own um, to add to add to proceedings. Um, we'll uh, talk a little bit of Bundesliga and Liga Un, rounded up with some just a little bit of Libertadores talk, and then uh, yeah. So hopefully. Um, if you're finding us for the first time, hopefully you enjoy this episode. And, um, if you do, um, if you could 
just leave a like, subscribe, whatever, uh, on your podcast platform of choice, hardcore football, um, on Spotify and, and the like, um, and then, uh, give us a follow on Twitter at HXC football. Um, you'll know us by the, by the purple crowned football, um, on, <laughs> on our Twitter, um, which, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying the purple vibes this season. Like it's a nice, uh, I don't know. It's a nice like foil to our green look in season one. Yeah, absolutely. It's a nice change of pace and just brightens up the, the timeline a little bit. So, so Mika Pendleton as always. <laughs> yeah. Shout out. Shout out <laughs> to Mike. Uh, so Mika, I mean, there's only one place to start really this weekend and that is in the premier league, which despite not carrying the Barclays, uh, moniker anymore. I mean, this was a weekend of, of just pure unadulterated Barclays. <laughs> yes. It was Barclays heritage. <laughs> as he's, you might say, uh, um, Oh man. Yeah. This was the, this was the first time in a while that I felt like every game had like a lot of storyline and like was entertaining. Like, cause I, truth be told, like I primarily support a premier league club but if Arsenal's not playing, I tend to watch other leagues. Like, yep. I'm not super, super interested in what other Premier League teams are doing, to be fair. Obviously, I keep up. But, um, yeah, this time around, though, there was a lot that was intriguing <laughs> to watch, either live or to watch back. So, highlights at least. So, yeah, it was Barclays heritage, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it did feel like one of those crazy weekends, I guess, of, like, I don't know. I, I just feel like we often got these sorts of weekends, um, in like the late two thousands. And, um, so yeah, it felt, it felt like a little bit of a return and certainly in the North London Derby, uh, for, for your club arsenal, it felt like a return to the good old days. Um, in that a resounding, three, one win, um, at the Emirates, uh, it must've felt like a little vintage arsenal. Um, not only in the way that, uh, I guess like reasserting yourselves over Tottenham at this moment, but the manner in which it was done felt, uh, a little bit vintage, a little bit vintage arsenal. Um, and, and maybe a version of this arsenal that we haven't, haven't quite seen under Arteta yet. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's always great to get the Derby win, of course. And and to be fair, I, I really rated Arsenal's chances. I think we always show up for North London Derby at the Emirates. It's it's you know been at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium where we've had some slip ups in, in the recent past. So I am annoyed with myself that I didn't put money on it in Vegas because I predicted three one and we were spot I was spot on for once. <laughs> um I yeah, I it was just a fantastic performance from Arsenal. And I think that's what a lot of the fans have been looking for is you know, we're on board. Most, are, I think, are on board with this idea of a rebuild and giving Mikel Arteta time, especially now that he's got his players, right? Sure. Um, but we were still looking for performances. Results are one thing, because results can, you know, various things can affect results, but your performance is, is up to you. And I think for once, we finally saw this Arsenal team really put it all together. And all six of the new signings make appearances in this one. Um there's there wasn't really anyone on the pitch who was like abject or like uh you know horrible or anything like everyone played really really well uh even Granit Xhaka I thought who came in from the cold you know of a red yeah. card I thought he was decent maybe a little bit lucky 
uh, still was smashing into people like like we know he does. Um, <laughs> and I think uh, Craig Poston definitely let us off a couple times. But um, I think either way, though, the performance was so, so convincing. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm just so pleased. It's, it's a real boost. Um, you do feel like, you know, something's building here now that Mikel Arteta has his guys. I think we can really start to judge to be fair. So, yeah, this, this performance, I'll, I'll be honest. Like when the lineups were announced, um, obviously I, I tweet, <laughs> I tweeted from, uh, the hardcore football, um, Twitter account because Mika recused herself. (laughs) I had to recuse myself. Exactly. Um, I was like, there's no way. (laughs) So I was tweeting from the account and I was trying to come to grips a little bit with the system that Arteta was playing because based on the based on the announcement, I was thinking like, you know, are we going to see like I I was particularly thinking of Tamiyasu as like as a center back versus like playing Mm. on the right side of a four. Um, I was thinking a three, which it ended up not being. And, you know, obviously it was a, it ended up being a back four. Um, but regardless of the system and like where it was, the thing that was pretty clear based on the personnel that were selected was that it was a, a parte Jaka double pivot in midfield. And I'll be honest, like even as a neutral, I was, I was worried for, for you guys <laughs> only because I think, I think that, well, a double pivot against Spurs, like when the likes of Ndombele are like at the height of their powers, that can be a really like daunting thing. Um, it did not go the way that I thought at all. I thought with Hoybjerg at the base of that midfield, like he would just sit on Martin Odegaard and just like really try to mark him out of the game. Um, I think we've seen it happen. Um, last year where teams would play a six and just sit, sit right on that like 10 that 10 area and and try to mark him out and that just wasn't the case like he was enjoying the freedom of the park I think I tweeted just like he just was receiving the ball in loads of space um but yeah I, I you know I think a lot of the fears that Arsenal fans may have or any of the like nerves that they may have entered this game with were completely you know assuaged like whatever a few minutes in when <laughs> when Arsenal take the lead um and there was just in the first half there was something about the way that Arsenal was playing in combination with like some i think some you know obviously some some lack of quality from the way that Spurs was playing and maybe maybe some lack of intensity but it just felt it felt like Spurs couldn't get close to Arsenal um, it, for for at least, you know, the opening basically like 35 minutes. It, it just seemed like they weren't really able to assert themselves at all. And uh, I mean, credit to credit to Arsenal in the way that they set up. Um, but credit in particular, I, I mentioned Tomiyasu like there's something about his inclusion that feels like a little bit different in terms of I think we've looked at a lot of these pieces in the Arsenal team um, and they're obviously super high quality like Bukayo Saka like Emil Smith Rowe we've seen like the impact that they can have but the comfort that Tomiyasu was providing to Bukayo Saka and going forward was something that Arsenal haven't really had recently yeah, yeah. I mean, right back's been a, an area of concern ever since I think Hector Bellerin, you know, tore his ACL. Um, 
you know, we've tried Chambers there. We've tried Maitland Niles there as kind of like a wing back. Cedric, who we should have never signed, in my opinion. <laughs> um, yeah. And and Takahiro Tomiyasu comes in from Bologna. And, and to be fair, like, I had known about this player because Japanese internationals, or at least keep an eye out for them. Um, I mean, you, I knew that he was going to be a very good defender and very good in the air. That's definitely a quality I think we've seen early in his Arsenal career thus far. But I did not expect him to have this big of an impact so early on. I mean, he is undroppable at this point in time. Um, he's really made that position his own. And, you know, there were people said that some people had concerns about the fact that he's not this like, uh, swashbuckling kind of fullback that is really popular in the modern game, all uh, you know, like Kieran Tierney, sure, uh, Trent Alexander Arnold, Reese James, like those those guys that get forward and have tons of pace and you know are really good in the attack. But he was getting forward like as much as 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 could be you know expected of him, and I think he's very smart. And when he decides to go and when he decides to stay back and defensively, like he's just solid. I mean, every time. <laughs> Every time the ball would get lofted over to his end, I'm like, why? Why? He's going to yeah. win the header. Like, every time. He, I think he won all but one, if I'm not mistaken. So um, just another dominant performance in the air from him. And it's just, I, I really am enjoying watching him because he is old school in that way. Sure. Um, you know, fullbacks ostensibly are defenders, but, you know, the, the modern game has changed a lot in regards to that role. And I think he's kind of taking it back a little bit. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but, I mean, to be fair to him, everyone, I think, really, I could point out so many good things that so many people did. I thought Partey was really good. He yep. looks fit. Um, you know, you point out Odegaard, I think he was a monster on the yep. press, like, sprinting so, so much. And uh, he, Smith Rowe and, and Saka all did really well to kind of interchange and not not stay in their kind of spaces and, and keep things unpredictable for Spurs. But yeah, I mean, it was just a really comprehensive performance, probably the best half of football that I think Mikel Arteta's team have, have put out since his um, appointment. Um, but to be fair, I mean, I was expecting more of a contest. Um, <laughs> Spurs were absolutely shocking. Yeah, And, you know, I know that's probably easy for me to say I'm an Arsenal fan, but I think, I think, People, I think everyone kind of agrees on how bad they were. Yeah. Um, just no, I, I, I don't know. There just wasn't any threat, really. I mean, in Dombele, even like he's been pretty good the past couple games, but he, he sure. couldn't show up. Um, Harry Kane, shocking. Like body language is all off. Missing chances that normally he puts away. To be fair to him, I think he probably has a penalty. I think Ben White files him in the box and it doesn't get called. Yeah. Uh, um, but I mean, there's one chance that he's pretty much one on one and, you know, wide. Uh, obviously, Arsenal's third goal is, you know, the highlight for me because he falls on his ass and then <laughs> he, he does well to get back. But, uh, you know, it's it's not enough. And, and Saka is able to take advantage. But um, Spurs are just looking like something is wrong there um, yeah. that goes beyond tactics that, that uh, honestly even goes beyond Nuno, Espirito Santo. I think a lot of people are putting the blame on him, but I think that he's kind of has an impossible task. I mean, what do you, how do you have this team rally, you know, when, when their leader and their best player really clearly wants out. 
Right. Um, and I want it out over the summer. And, and so it's a bit of a poison chalice and, and it must be hard for Nuno. I mean, knowing that he's not first choice or even second or third or fourth, yeah. like depending on who you believe. I mean, right. You know, Daniel Levy, I, I don't think that was his, his first choice. I think Fabio Paratici had to kind of convince him that that was the right choice. And yeah, it's just not working out thus far. And yeah, there's some big changes needed at Spurs. Yeah, before we dive into the changes at Spurs, I want to let you revel in the goals a bit. Um, uh, of the three, what what's the what's the pick of the litter for you for as an Arsenal fan? Yeah, so I mean, it's hard to look past the Hale End boys, who both you know Smith Rowe and Saka both get a goal and assist each. Um, I think those goals were both very opportunistic, but technically speaking, I think the highest quality finish is Aubameyang. Uh, if you look closely before he hits that, I think Martin Odegaard is already celebrating because <laughs> yeah. he knows it's going in and we need Obama Yang for the stretch. So I'm, I'm really pleased for him that he's, he seems to be finding a, a scoring groove. So, um, yeah, you're asking me, it's like picking between my children, man. Like <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> Not that I have kids, but if I did, that's, I, I imagine that's what it would feel like. <laughs> I, um, uh, I, I, I mean, even as a neutral watching this game, there were it was it was enjoyable to watch the goals. Um, given how sharp Arsenal were in the counter, which is yeah. just, I don't know that that's really even been in the tool in the toolbox like the last you know year and change or two years. Um, it just it felt it felt very different energy wise and just the sharpness of everything it just i don't know like and it could just it could just have been like a a good afternoon for arsenal and a and like one of those games where everything clicks but um yeah just i I don't know it felt it felt a little bit different and the second in particular i think Xhaka's ball out to emile smith row like and then his ability to to go past sanchez like it's just nothing and the, the cutback and Aubameyang. the finish. I mean, that's it. Yeah. It, yeah. It was just, it was just so sharp. Um, but as far as the, like, as you said, like the shot in front of, of Kane, like being dispossessed on the edge of his area and it leading to, well, one, I mean, <laughs> it being Saka on the end of it and, you know, the star boy quality of like that goal <laughs> as well. I don't know. It was just, that was, that was fun to watch like as a neutral, Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I don't know it like there's, there's an aspect of football Twitter that, you know, they love like, uh, Arsenal fan TV and all that stuff. But like, I don't know, to me, the Barclays, (laughs) the Barclays is at its peak when, when Arsenal are, are fun and good. So, um, (laughs) it's just, uh. Yeah, it's been it's that was a, a like just a fun aspect of the game and and I think a professional job like in the end to see it out although you did say you know as you said like maybe a couple of moments of a little bit of like it could have gone um a little bit more sour for um for Arsenal there in the second half with the the penalty claims and I think I mean with his form the way it is who who knows like Harry Kane may made Bruno that one, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of Spurs, I mean, Fernie, Fernie on Twitter at cool Fernie, he asked, you know, 
he or well, he stated Nuno isn't the answer at Spurs and then asked, can anyone fix it or is it time to sell Kane and son and rebuild? Um, what do you make of like, do, does Daniel Levy need to go, need to go full rebuild, you know, get the bail money back or what's the, like, what's his, what's the move here for Spurs? Cause, um, this, this kind of like golden generation, if you want to call it that, like this, this amalgamation of talent is the ship's kind of sailing right now. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I would agree with uh, Fernie's statement that Nuno isn't the answer at Spurs. What I will say though, is that this is not Nuno's fault. Mm -hmm. This is a couple years in the making now. I, I, I'm sure if I went back in my Twitter, I openly mocked (laughs) Spurs for firing Mauricio Pochettino and really what they needed was a refresh of the squad um, I thought that that should have happened a long time ago. So yeah, can anyone fix it? I'm sure. I'm sure there's someone out there that could fix it. I, I bet Antonio Conte could have fixed it if he was to, you know, receive the backing that he rightfully expects because he wins things. Um, is it time to sell Kane and Son and rebuild? I would be shocked if anyone comes back in at a hundred million pounds for Kane or whatever asinine number City was offering. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, I think Daniel Levy missed a trick there by not selling him because now he's unhappy um, and, and and not scoring. He's not scoring in the Premier League. I don't think he has a single goal yet. Um and Son, I think, is very much someone who can still, uh, you know, usher in the new generation of Spurs. Granted, he's getting up, you know, he's not old, but he's getting up there at age two. But I think he's already signed a long-term deal. So I think that's kind of a foregone conclusion on on his part. But yeah, I mean, yeah. hindsight being twenty twenty and all that, I think you sell you sell a player when they're offering stupid money for, you know, a, a striker pushing his thirties and injury prone. I, I mean, that's just how I see it. Yes, he's world class, one of the best strikers in the world, um, but that's not him right now. He's very unhappy, and and yeah, I think I think Spurs messed up a long time ago when when they fired Pochettino rather than support or rebuild for. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh I think there's something to be said about like the after effects of Mourinho um hmm. in this <laughs> in this as well. There's been a lot of like historical examples of him leaving clubs and the next manager just having an absolute like torrid time trying to like get things <laughs> back on the rails. Um just like at a glance, uh, Jose Mourinho at Chelsea, followed by Avram Grant, or Grant the first time around, um, he lasted less than a year, trophyless, uh, and then Inter, <laughs> Rafa Benitez was brought in to like try to right the ship there, um, and oh he didn't even make it out of 2010 before Leonardo actually was appointed. And he only lasted a year before Gasparini was brought in and he didn't last a year before Ranieri was brought in. So anyways, enters its whole other like <laughs> shit show. Um, but really it was only at, at Real Madrid did Carlo Ancelotti come in and like have a decent time after a Jose Mourinho like departure. So it's a really, it, I don't know. I think this could be, I think Nuno could be the next on, on the list of casualties in the, in the wake of, in the wake of a Jose Mourinho kind of like 
like he came in there and, and obviously burned a few bridges and didn't make Harry Kane into the like superstar trophy winning machine that he promised in the Amazon documentary. And now, now Spurs are kind of <laughs> oh, paying the price. It's been, it, it's just been, uh, it's just, I don't know. It's gone horribly wrong. I think it, it's the only way to describe it because this Spurs team is by far the most talented that they've had. Um, in a brand new stadium and all of those things. And they've just completely, they've completely botched it. And I mean, to go from being in the finals of a champions league to, you know, what was that two seasons ago or three seasons ago um, to now, like they're looking down the, <laughs> they're like, you know, trying to see like, Oh, should we even like, are we even competing for Europe or, you know, they're in the conference league and all this stuff. It's just, it's just, it's brutal to be quite honest for Spurs right now. Um, cause they've squandered an opportunity to, to have something like truly special. Um, and now I think it is time to probably admit that they've got it wrong and, and try to get what they can for their big pieces and, and try to rebuild from there. Yeah, definitely. And you know, the, the Nuno thing is just, I do find it a little bit harsh that people are, are slating him so harshly because I just think it's an impossible situation. And in a lot of ways, like, he's the antithesis of Spurs. Like, you know, Spurs have always prided themselves on, like, attacking football and to dare us to do. Like, they're this, like, they yeah. try to be this larger-than-life club and, and be entertaining and all this. And that's not Nuno. Nuno's very <laughs> pragmatic, you know, yeah. a lot like Mourinho in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, which works at, you know, a Wolves or, or someone like that. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, really looking dark at <laughs> <laughs> uh, White Hart Lane, the new White Hart Lane. So, yeah, but brighter days for Arsenal um, in the wake of that 3-1 win and certainly um, a lot of a lot of energy given back to the to the to Gooners worldwide um, in there <laughs> in, in what has been like a pretty rough start to the season. This was a, a big moment to celebrate. And I'm sure um, I'm sure it was a lot of fun with the, uh, with the El Paso Gooners as well. Um, yeah. Had ourselves a party. It was yeah. fun. <laughs> uh, I, I find that hard to believe that group um, <laughs> having, having that much fun. No. Um, what a, what a crew as well. Um, definitely. so in, in the match that was like definitely billed as the biggest of the weekend, obviously not from a Derby perspective, but, um, just in terms of the matchup and, and potential title implications and all that stuff. Um, Manchester city go to Stanford bridge and get a one nil win over Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea. Um, and this, this was a really, this felt really interesting, but I think like my takeaway from this is that. Chelsea had trouble like they didn't have trouble defending in the sense that like city didn't have a ton of great chances and, and the goal, you know, comes from like a little bit of uh, obviously good play from city, but Chelsea, we know that they can defend really well, but it seemed like they had trouble converting that into anything at the other end. And ultimately that's where Pep got his, got his edge here over Tuchel. Yeah, absolutely. I think city were dominant. Um, Chelsea just could not break their press <laughs> at all. 
Um, and, you know, to be fair, I think this was Thomas Tuchel's first real misstep, if you can call it that, in a big game, because I, I think he's been spot on more often than not ever since he came into Chelsea and how he's managed these these occasions. Um, but, you know, parking the bus at home is an interesting look. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, in his defense, though, no Mason Mount, that's a big miss. Um, someone who's, you know, an extremely hard worker and, and tactically very intelligent. No Pulisic to, to do something brilliant out of nowhere. Um, yeah, I, I just think that Chelsea, you know, they just didn't get it right on the day. And, and City are still a force to be reckoned with. I mean, I think people forget that because city tend to start seasons with a bit of a wobble and then just get better and better until they're going on, you know, like 20 game winning streaks. So, um, you know, city showed what they're made of and, and they always looked in control. Um, you know, I want to give a special shout out to Ruben Diaz. I think he's brilliant. Um, you know, even when Chelsea would break high on, you know, break on their high line, he was always marshalling team of Werner wide, totally in control of every situation that he, that he was in on one-on-one with, with one of Chelsea's attackers. And um, yeah, city were just really, really good. Um, Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. It's starting to to seem like, uh, you know, it's, it's early. So maybe I don't want to make this conclusion, but like the reliance on Lukaku has, has really like showed up in a big way um, early. And, you know, yeah. it's hard not to rely on a player so good like that. But, I mean, you do need other options and other other threats at the end of the day. And he couldn't really, you know, do much on the day. So it's a, it's a good win for City on the road. And I'm sure they'll build on it. And that that's a scary thing for the entire league, to be fair. Yeah, I think uh, you make an interesting point about the Lukaku uh, reliance. Because I do think it's it's now been shown in... Chelsea's two big matches against their like rivals at the top, Liverpool and and city Lukaku has been like noticeably marked out of the game, or at least like marshaled out of the game by really good elite defenders. And that's not to say that Lukaku is bad or like an issue by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, he can get by like Chelsea will absolutely get by some of the like weaker teams in the premier league by Lukaku, just bullying a lesser center center def- central defender and mm-hmm. turning him and, and just like ha- basically having his way like on the day. Um, that's just not going to happen that often. And in the, against these like elite defenders and in the, in these sorts of games, like you need, the people who are playing off of you or playing with you to either like attract some attention or create some kind of like space for you. And in this one, I think like Timo Werner actually did like a decent amount of like actually trying to create space and, and open things up for, for Lukaku. But with those two being like the only threat going forward, I think it was extremely like easy for city to just, okay, well, we've got these two in front of us, so we're good because no one else is getting involved. Like, everybody else was behind the ball, basically. So it just felt very, like, just very routine for City to be able to deal with the threat. And I don't think yeah. it was necessarily anything that Lukaku or Werner were doing wrong. It was just there. It was them against the world every time they went forward. Yeah, and and Marcos Alonso and Reese James in those wide-back positions would try 
to get forward. But as the game went on, they it seemed like they were increasingly playing within themselves, especially Alonzo, who we know is, you know, both of them are quality going forward. But I mean, there's a point where Antonio Rudiger is like yelling at him, like, you're out of position. <laughs> it's yeah. like, what do you mean, man? I'm trying to support like our only two attackers. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's why they set up the way that they did. They were going to, you know, create the width like that. But it would yeah. leave these spaces for De Bruyne and, and Foden and, and Gabriel Jesus, who's now a winger, apparently, to exploit. So um, it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> they will just, you know, continue to pummel you. And if you try to break on them, then they'll they'll break on you right the other way with a lightning counter and, and score. And so, um, yeah, it was just not the best day out at the office for, for uh, Chelsea. The thing that like struck me about City's lineup when it was announced was the fact that I felt like this lineup was or like this midfield was a a luxury midfield. Like playing one <laughs> DM with Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva, like who could arguably also play in the front three, like both of them. Mm. <laughs> like obviously De Bruyne has made his name in midfield and and will play there. But the idea of playing him next to another just like free eight, I'm thinking like, mm-hmm. okay, this midfield is gonna get eaten alive by Conte, Kovacic, and and uh, Jorginho, and they're just going to like occupy all the space, and they're going to press these guys off the ball, and they're not going to be able to get on anything. And it was totally the opposite. Like it was completely a midfield that was built to stop that midfield three from playing could not do it. Like yeah, the three and of Rodri them just, was brilliant. Yeah, Roger <laughs> was Rodri, awesome. He was everywhere. And De Bruyne and Silva could do whatever they wanted. And it was crazy because I just like, it was a completely the opposite of what I felt based on the names on the team sheet. You're thinking this midfield is like, <laughs> like Pep has broken the caviar out for this <laughs> midfield. Like he cannot, like no, no one can afford this. And it was, un, you know, he accompanied it with some, some champagne football and enough for the one, no win. So you know, um, you say that's the caviar midfield, but if he had his way, he would have played Gundogan, which would be even more. <laughs> like, at least Rodri is a defensive midfielder. Um, yeah, Gundogan playing in the six as a false, absolutely false six, false nine. <laughs> the double, exactly. the double, the double, uh, double negative. Um, <laughs> yeah, and the other piece yeah. of this is the fact that the the fact that like Chelsea line up with a, a back three and, you know, a midfield five with two wing backs and Cancelo and Walker were still free to get forward in attack for city is just like, that's an indictment of, of like the setup too, because at the very least, like Reese James and Marcus Alonso should keep them occupied. Like, even if it's not in a, in, you know, like an effective attacking way where they're whipping crosses into the box, like they should have at least kept them from getting upfield. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and City really didn't even have to cross it that much because you would think that that would be what Chelsea would try to force them into is force them wide so that they have to cross and they'll be crossing a Phil Foden. Yeah. In a sea <laughs> um, of, just, of Christensen and Rudiger. Like, right. And that just everything. didn't happen. That yeah. didn't happen. So but with all that being said, I don't know that this really is like a super damning indictment of Chelsea. I think they'll be absolutely fine. It's just, it's city and they can do that to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, like you said, I think, I think the fact we're even discussing this much about Chelsea, a Chelsea city, like league game, um, 
<laughs> does show that like Chelsea have come on a bit in terms of like, cause this would, would be a one nil from city at Stanford bridge, like over the past few years would have been like completely unremarkable. Yeah, for sure. A, a match for another big team on the road, though, um, that was remarkable in almost every sense of the word. Uh, Brentford three, Liverpool three um, in just a complete back and forth. And um, I don't know if if Barclays were if Barclays were distilled into one match. This this felt like it. Yes, but with like a new kind of formula because Brentford's not typical Barclays, but no, um, <laughs> wow, no, no defending, just vibes. That's this, that's this <laughs> game. People throw that around a lot, but that's this one. Um, what a game for the neutral, <laughs> like just like the North London Diary was. I think this was incredible to watch. Um, you know, you might get mad at me for this, but I think Brentford are probably a little unlucky not to win uh, <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, I think of Mbomo's chip that, that, that Matip clears off the line just a little bit, not enough pace on the ball. Mm-hmm. Curtis Jones goal, really good, but I think it maybe takes a deflection. I think it's helped in a little bit. Oh, a slight deflection. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I guess it could have gone either way at the end of the day, but um you know, Brentford are a serious proposition for anyone, especially at home, apparently, in that new community stadium. So yeah. it was insane. Um, and, you know, as a Liverpool fan, are you uh, you're probably a little annoyed to drop points, aren't you? <laughs> so I think I'm in an incredibly awkward position because I've been bigging up Brentford for like two years. So <laughs> you <laughs> like, have been. <laughs> And it's, it hasn't actually been two years, but for at least one full year. Um, and so I'm in this weird spot where I know that this is this is a tricky away for anybody this year. And there will be mo- there will be more teams that go to Brentford and drop points like this is going to be a pretty common thing, I think, um, because I think like the things that we said about Brentford as they came up and when we were talking about like our predictions for the league and all of that is the fact that like sometimes it can be tough for teams that are that that are offensive minded like coming into the Premier League where if the goals dry up they don't have a defense to kind of fall back on and survive this Brentford side like it seems like they can kind of do both and in this game like they just decided to match Liverpool's intensity in terms of like getting forward and attacking. Um, and it just seemed like kind of reliant on the game state. Like they were, they were kind of like either like going full throttle or easing off of it, depending on, depending on the situation. And it just seemed like obviously Liverpool have an immense amount of quality and they're going to score goals. Um, but the idea that like, Basically, any time that Brentford got forward, they were causing they were causing some problem for Liverpool or especially like from set pieces, they were causing loads of problems like the idea that they were able to do that against a team that had up until this game allowed one goal (laughs) in the league like that is like a huge compliment to this Brentford side. And the fact that I obviously there, I think Liverpool's defending in this game, like leaves much to be desired. And there's a lot of, 
you know, you could like single out, especially on some of the goals you're just thinking like, it looked kind of like old school, <laughs> like mid 2000s or mid mid 2010s, like Brendan Rogers Klopp transition Liverpool, where it was just like <laughs> complete, like a complete mess, especially away from home. Um, but I think this, this Brentford side, like they're capable of, I think sometimes like we think of these newly promoted sides as being capable of a surprise. I think this Brentford side is, is capable of asserting themselves on teams that are, you know, on paper or like ostensibly like better than them. Um, They're able to like play and dictate how they want the game to play out. Now, obviously in an ideal world for Brentford, they get the win. You know, Liverpool came close a a couple times at the end. I think Salah probably when he has a chance to make it four two, that was probably the game. Um, any, any, uh, chips over the bar. Um, but the, the ability of this Brentford side to, I guess like at three, two, I'm thinking nine times out of 10, like Liverpool see that out at, at, three, two and Brentford were just able to continue to uh, like force the game to be played the way that they wanted. And there's not many teams that can do that, like to a team as good as Liverpool or, you know, the cities and, and, you know, maybe Chelsea's of the world. Like there's not many teams that can force a team to play their way. Um, And yeah, they just, they, they made it a spectacle. Um, And I think the look that, that Klopp and, and uh, Thomas Frank shared like when um, gosh, I think there was a chance at three, three for Liverpool to score and maybe it, Oh, it was another uh, David Rea save, which he made two like spectacular saves um, despite not making like any others <laughs> in the game. He made two <laughs> just unbelievable saves and uh, Klopp just looks back at Thomas Frank with the like, are you kidding me? And, Frank yeah, and Frank yeah, is yeah. just like, yeah, I don't know. Like, this is nuts. Like, and they were just both like vibing on the sidelines. So it was funny to see that, like that, that moment and little kind of mutual respect, I think between, between two managers. Cause I'm sure Klopp's not happy with the result, but, um, but I think, you know, he sees the same as everybody else, which is like, Brentford is going to be an incredibly tough place for teams to go this year. Yeah, definitely. I think they're really, uh, under Thomas Frank, and they've got a lot of talent there. And Bobo, Ivan Tony, of course. Um, Pinnock gets a nice goal. Yeah. It's, yeah, they're going to be a problem for everyone. And I don't think Liverpool should feel all that bad. <laughs> On top of that, you know, when these teams come up, I, I think there's a lot about the unknown with that. Is they have that advantage that, that not everyone knows exactly what they're all about. And so they can catch teams out. I think we saw. Leeds do that. I think we saw Sheffield United do that before it all went like tits up, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, um, just a really entertaining one. But Mosala did hit a, a milestone in this one that VAR had to confirm, but yeah. he did <laughs> ultimately. Yeah, hundred a hundred Premier League goals for Liverpool. Um which uh, he hit a hundred Premier League goals a couple games ago with it uh, because he had previously scored two for Chelsea, um, and so yeah, a hundred a hundred Premier League goals for Liverpool, and uh, 
at Ebow27, Eric Bauer on Twitter asked, is Mohamed Salah one of the greatest to ever play in the Premier League? Um, I mean, I have I have strong opinions about Mo Salah, but but Mika as a neutral, what do you think about Mo Salah being being in that conversation? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to look past what he's done as as a a winger, really, a wide forward scoring as many goals as he has and in, in, in as short a time as he has. Um I think if if the number if I'm not mistaken, he will probably surpass the likes of DJ Drogba, possibly even Ian Wright in, in terms of Premier League goals. Um, so, you know, we consider those strikers great. So, uh, you know, some of the best in the Premier League or Premier League history. So I, I don't see why Mosala wouldn't be included in that conversation. Um, I, he's world class. Um, I think anyone who's denying that is, is not speaking in good faith. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, probably. I mean, obviously, he's got a, a while to go. I think he still has a lot more to offer, but he, he might do. Yeah, he's he's now just two goals away from Didier Drogba um, and uh, having played 90 less games. Um, there you go. Which, yeah, it's 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 astonishing, really. Like, I think the I think one of the things that is most impressive about Mo, aside from the fact that obviously he scored a, just a ridiculous boatload of goals in five seasons, um with with Liverpool his story and his like the arc is just so atypical and so tough to do um and I think it just speaks to his character as a like as a footballer and his intensity around like wanting to be at the highest level because it would have been easy for anyone else to fade away after that spell at Chelsea like he gets picked off of Basel basically because he scored against Mourinho in the Champions League at mm. Stamford Bridge and then is rotting away on the bench like doesn't isn't isn't really playing all that often eventually moves to Fiorentina and like really took the opportunity to like rather than just you know oh well I've had my shot and it's gone like he continued to just like he used that spell in Serie A to just like completely revitalize and and um just remake himself and yeah a good spell at Roma and and then all of a sudden he gets his shot in the Premier League again and ever since he's been back it feels like he's been like out to prove something um and he's done it you know five this would be you know he's five seasons with 20 20 goals a season and a couple of golden boots to his name and yeah, I mean it's just uh it's it's been unbelievable and and I don't know that I don't know that there's ever been a player who's fit so quickly and so naturally into into a side um like Mo Salah at Liverpool he just hit the ground running and hasn't stopped since. Yeah, for sure. I mean that that first season when he scored how many 40 something <laughs> like <laughs> i mean i think anyone would have been within their rights to be like okay this is a fluke because that that was insane sure. but uh yeah he's he's shown up with the goods every season since as well i think he's been blessed with health you know he's not for sure too much on the sidelines um you know unless Sergio Ramos has something to say about it but <laughs> <laughs> oh god um yeah he's he's incredible yeah. Um, well, 
we head now to Old Trafford, the theater of dreams, but it wasn't such this weekend for United as they lost 1-0 to Aston Villa. Um, Courtney House, the the lone goal scorer in the 88th minute for, for the villains. Um, this one punctuated by... Obviously, like tons to tons to like dissect on the United side in terms of the the twenty eight shots, but only four on target and no goals. Um, but this one was punctuated by United being awarded a late penalty. Bruno Fernandes uh, stepping up to the spot after <laughs> much uh, cajoling by Emmy Martinez, <laughs> and uh, maybe maybe we'll get into the the shit houseery a bit, but um, but. Bruno steps up and obviously normally very calm and, and uh, collected from the penalty spot ops to go like for power gets it completely wrong and, and blazes over the bar. Um, just a weird sequence from, from Bruno when he's been basically automatic from the penalty spot since he joined United. Yeah. Yeah. It was one nil Aston Villa at that point. And the, the goal scorer Courtney house actually gives away the penalty uh, and, and United, of course, have have a chance to at least get something from the game at home. Um, yeah, the one time that he doesn't, you know, the one time, one of the few times he doesn't use the, the slow walk up, he completely skies it. And I mean, credit to Emmy Martinez. I mean, this man needs to be studied at military academies. <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> like, I don't understand how you can get into someone's head so completely like he did. And like he did over the summer at Copa America, the, you know, the exploits he, he did for, for Argentina, uh, against Colombia. Um, he's just a monster, like a complete villain, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, in every sense of the word, (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, Listen, United should have never been in this position to begin with. You're Manchester United. You're playing at Old Trafford. You've spent so much money. You have a completely stacked squad. You should be able to beat Aston Villa. This team that survived by a single point on the final day a couple seasons ago, if I'm not mistaken, (laughs) who, to be fair to them, have invested wisely. They've gotten this gigantic windfall from the Jack Grealish sale, and I think, once again, they've done themselves really proud in the transfer market, but still, a a, a team that I think is is serious about winning titles, you got to beat Aston Villa at home. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, It shouldn't have gone to that (laughs) at all. And, uh, yeah, Bruno was just... um, psyched out i guess and now i wonder if he's off penalties because they do have cristiano ronaldo who's also one of the best penalty takers in the world so (laughs) just a lot of interesting things there um but yeah pretty dramatic end to that one yeah a little bit i don't know it was a little bit of strange of a strange like team selection for me pogba being like in the attacking midfield three um with mason greenwood and and fernand's like it just felt a little, felt a little strange, felt a little off. I don't, I'm not sure. Like I, I think I'm not trying to like sit back and say, Oh, like we, we told not, not, we told you so or anything like that, but does it feel like Ronaldo is, is like just forcing the rest of the team, like the rest of the team's almost being selected around him. It feels like, like rather than being selected, like with him in mind, it's just like, 
okay, I have to pick him. And then I've got, okay, what positions do I have left in attack rather than kind of building something that makes some kind of like coherent sense in attack? Yeah. Yeah. We talked about it when, when the signing came through is what effect positive or negative would he have on that, that attacking unit and the team as a whole. And one thing that really stood out to me in this one, and you know, granted he's, he's still a very young player, but Mason Greenwood was snatching at chances and making decisions that, you know, are typical of a young player, but at the same time, like the right decision was so obvious in certain aspects that Mm -hmm. when he didn't take it, it was like, what are you doing? Sure. Um, There's a couple of times he could have found Bruno in the box for an easy goal and he elects to take it himself. And, you know, he's a striker. I get that. He's, and he's like, the best national finishers probably the league, but um, wonder a little bit, I think uh, psychologically what that, that signing is having, yeah. What impact that's having on the rest of the, the dressing room because yeah, it does feel like that. Like you have to to play him and then and then go from there. Um, but again, like I just think you should be beating Aston Villa. Not that I you know, I don't want to disrespect Aston Villa. I think they're a very very good team and um, you know, again, have have really reinvested well, but you gotta beat them. Yeah. You just have to. The subs in this one, uh Victor Lindelof, Diogo Dallo, and Edinson Cavani, one of which makes sense, like needing a goal at home. Um, yeah. But Jaden Sancho, uh, notably unused substitute. Um, so still obviously a lot, a lot of work to be done when, um, <laughs> when Mason Greenwood is starting ahead of him in like his preferred position um, right. when he was brought in for 90 plus million pounds. But, um anyways <laughs> no i mean it's a fair point he's had a lukewarm start to life at manchester united and and you know you made an excellent point on the last pod that he even though he's english and even though he came through an english academy he is adapting to premier league football for the first time yeah um so yeah it might take a little bit but i think we would have expected to see a little bit more for 90 million pounds uh by now yeah but uh yeah let's let's talk about and you you had remarked on this actually I think after an Aston Villa game where Tyrone Mings uh, did this exact thing, but Bruno Fernandes uh, on Instagram and Twitter and everything like after the match um, apologized for missing the penalty um, in a league game like early in the season. <laughs> no title implications, no trophies on the line, like right at this moment. Um, and apologized for missing the penalty. Tyrone Mings, like when he, he apologized for, uh, for his mistake that led to a goal, um, or his bad pass. Um, yeah. what do you, what do you make of, I know you have some pretty strong opinions on, on footballers apologizing for like mistakes in a game where, Mistakes occur. Yeah, it's part of the game. I I do have strong opinions on this, and you know, thank you for reminding me of the Tyrone Mings thing because I I did openly comment on on that one as well. I I don't think there's anything wrong with like obviously with being humble and and trying to to front up for things. But one, like you said, it's part of the game, and two, the reason why I don't like it is not because I have a problem with footballers, you know, expressing themselves. I think that's fine. It's more the fact that. I think by doing that, you're 
how do I say this? You are like encouraging fans who already feel like they have so much entitlement mm-hmm. when it comes to your performances, how teams should be playing, how teams should be spending their money. Like, sure. You know, the comments that they leave on these, these players, Instagram accounts and Twitter and all that, like so many fans already feel entitled to do all of that. So when you're, you know, I don't think you need to pander any more to this toxic set of fans than, than, you know, with the, with the apologizing. That's why I don't like it. Right. Cause I don't think, that that players need to apologize to us just do better next time you know right. what i mean like it's it's a sport like these things happen yeah i think it was totally i, I feel bad that bruno fernandez felt like he had to do that right. it's just a game <laughs> you know like obviously very <laughs> important part of of our lives obviously sure um but it's it's just never that deep right and yeah i don't think that they they owe fans anything in that regard like just show it on the pitch like uh, you know and he wrote like a whole essay and then you know it took like two iphone notes to like really like flesh out and then united had this like graphic of everyone like supporting him and it's like what (laughs) what is this like are you serious yeah yeah i i do have strong feelings about it i think it's ridiculous i think it's silly stop right (laughs) like no i nuts I I agree that I think I think it just the discourse around like these moments and everything from fans is often going to be like there's always going to be people who are whatever shouting shit online or yelling stuff but like the reality of the situation and this actually happened now obviously it's somewhat of a different different circumstance um when when Mo Salah had his penalty saved uh against AC Milan in the, in the champions league, they started singing his song right after in the stadium, they started singing Mo Salah's song, like as mm-hmm. encouragement, same yeah. thing in old Trafford, like as much as like the toxic fans, like rise to the top on, on the internet, like in old Trafford, they started singing his name, like at full time, you know, they showed like their support for him. Yeah. There's no need, like there's no need for him to apologize. Like there's yeah, he fucked up. Like it's time to like rally behind the player and and like yeah, like you said, you they do better next time, but if it turns into this whole thing where like every player feels the need to come forward and have a statement about like their actions in a game, like it just seems insane. Like this is like for analysis and for the film room, like let the manager speak about it in the post match, like the player shouldn't have to defend themselves like for, for being human. Like, right. That's yes. <laughs> just like, like, sorry that I, you know, yeah, got caught again, up in the I moment just, and whatever. Like it, there's no reason yeah. to apologize for that shit. It's crazy. It is crazy. And, and it, yeah, I mean, really that's my thing on it. It's not even me being like annoyed with players who do it. It's the fact that, it encourages people to, you know, not everyone. It's it's a minority of fans. Let's let me be clear about that. But like right. the online, like extremely online fans, were like, <laughs> yeah, you should be sorry, right? And get out of my club, like that kind of thing. Like yeah. it's like don't encourage that because that's what you're doing. They'll never be like, it's okay. Right. Like, <laughs> the people who are okay with it would not reply to you anyway, or they're singing your name in the ground. And I think that's right. a really good. Um, point you brought up there about the experience in the ground because I think you know as fans in the United States we're not clued into what's going on in the stadium but it is very different yeah like Arsenal Twitter for example can be extremely toxic but at the Emirates totally different 
it's been very positive all season long from from what I can tell. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that's the same across grounds in England. So, yeah, that that's another good point is that the online fandom is not the same as, as the match-going fan um, usually. So Yeah. And just reminding ourselves that, like, <laughs> it's okay to not, like, be reactionary to every single thing. Obviously, there's a lot of frustration in a moment like that because it, you think, oh, nailed on, like, we're, get it, we're getting a point here, and then suddenly you're not. But the idea that a footballer needs to come out and explain to you or apologize to you for dropping points is just like uh, it's almost like for me it's just like exhausting like I don't want <laughs> I don't want to deal with this like Absolutely. day in and day out so um disappointing for United though and and obviously a lot of a lot of the the really positive um vibes around the team at the beginning of of this season are sort of fading although I mean, to be fair, level with points, <laughs> level on points with with City and Chelsea as it stands. So obviously they haven't, you know, they haven't fallen too far down the table. Um, but right, right behind United in the table, um, Everton keeping pace, Everton with a 2-0 win over Norwich, which obviously like Norwich a little bit, um, they're looking a little little light, a little bit like they don't have what it takes to hang around the, the Premier League again this this time around. I'm not sure like how it'll play out, but they are looking a little a little fragile. But um Grant Sunberg on Twitter at Goatfoot21 said, Is Everton primed for a European slot as they continue to do well in the league despite not having Dominic Calvert Lewin or Richarlison? You know, Everton is one of the sides that have kind of gone under the radar for me, and maybe that speaks to what they've been doing and quietly going about their business. I don't know. I think European slot, uh, you know, well, a European slot is more attainable nowadays now that we've got the European Conference League or the Europa Conference League. So, yeah, maybe so. I mean, you know, I I think they could certainly do like a West Ham and, and finish in and around that that upper upper table. Um yeah, I I just need to watch Everton a little bit more. I've I've not been clued into them and Norwich. Like I said at the beginning of the season, I thought they'd be a little bit more prepared for life in the Premier League this time around. But now I'm beginning to think like, why like, stop wasting a spot? <laughs> 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 like, what do you? Come on, guys! Like, let's stop being like not serious every time you come up. I don't know. They've they've not scored. They haven't gotten a single point. I think. Yeah, they are um, winless in six. Um, and a minus 14 goal yeah, differential. So it's been a fucking disaster. <laughs> brutal. Absolutely brutal. Yeah. They just, they just can't play the way that they want to in the championship uh, or, you know, in the Premier League, like they did in the championship, yeah. it, it seems. Um, Brentford, Leeds, even Sheffield United in that first uh, season when they came up, I think were, they just were better able to adapt. I don't know why, yeah. it, you know, Norwich can't, but brutal. <laughs> yeah, Norwich. I, I don't know. It, it does feel like it feels a little bit like the opposite of Brentford in that Brentford can like assert their style of play, and Norwich just for whatever reason, like with the players that they have, they just can't. I think we definitely can't look too far past the the, the absence of Emmy Bundia in in that side, like now at Aston True. Villa. Um, but they went out and they got. Mil Rashika uh, and well, Love Josh, 
Josh Sargent, <laughs> who's been yeah. unfortunately just a passenger in in this uh, train wreck so far. But um, but yeah, they just don't look they don't look ready um, again. And the big <laughs> the biggest indictment is that they are currently making Burnley look good. Burnley on two points should be dead last with only two points, but they're in 19th. So, <laughs> um, Arsenal, Arsenal did our part. Okay. Right. Burnley in Burnley. <laughs> so everyone just, you know, band together and let's finally get this Burnley side down. <laughs> Lester, Lester fucked up this week two two draw against Burnley. And I have to say <laughs> Burnley finally went out and found like, just one ounce of like waviness in their team with Maxwell Cornet <laughs> and he goes and scores a goal for him to, to earn him a draw. Um, almost yeah. got the win, but Jamie Vardy, Jamie Vardy saw to it that the Foxes took a point, a point away. But, um, the, the last like big match of the week, uh, because it was played today on Monday, um, was it the M 23 Derby? Yes. Crystal Palace, Brighton, um, in Selhurst Park. And uh, 1-1, a Wilfred Zaha penalty canceled out by a just absolutely outrageous chip from Neil Malpe in the 95th minute. Neil Malpe hit, like, misses sitters, but he'll chip that? Like, <laughs> are you serious? In the 95th? Yeah. Like you should have zero composure in that instance, but like, good Lord, what a goal. Yeah, it was, it was, it was an interesting game for sure. Brighton could have gone top of the Premier League, top of the Barclays with a win, but, uh, <laughs> that would have been a Barclays moment if Brighton was top of the league. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I said at the beginning, I was worried about them just cause I, I felt like they didn't, uh, reinforce as much as I would have liked in the attack, but I mean, they've been fine so far. I, I think they would have be a little bit annoyed that they didn't get the win today of obviously against their heated rival crystal palace, which, you know, is I was explaining to like a friend today that that's actually a Derby because I think that one flies under the radar, at least here in North America. Yeah. Um, for like, us, it's not like why? super obvious. Yeah, like, <laughs> but, but why though? Um, it's actually quite historic. So, uh, but yeah, um, yeah, really good game. Um, I really, really like Mark Cucurella in the Premier League. He's such a great addition. He's, he's made for the Premier League, like the pace, <laughs> the pace, the strength, like the, the audacity. I mean, he's, he's no goal involvements yet, but I think he just really fits that, that Grand Potter side to a T. Um, Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. But I think it's uh, I was looking at, at it last night, just reading up on the Derby a little bit, and it's 40 wins for each side. So with this draw, they're still dead even on wins. 40 wins a piece. Yeah. Wow. So, yep. You'd be hard pressed to find a more closely like contested Derby than that, like in world football. <laughs> yeah. Um, we need to do like some M23 Derby awareness like yeah. <laughs> in America. <laughs> Shout out to Jake Konecki, the biggest, the biggest goals stand yep. uh, who listens. And yeah, we'll, we'll have to do some, maybe a little bit of education there. Um, I was reading, I don't know how true this is. Maybe Jake can tell me, but you know, back in the day, I think when like both teams were in the third division, 
Crystal Palace had a chant like Eagles, Eagles, Eagles. And that's how Brighton got their name because they wanted to mock them and said Seagulls, Seagulls, Seagulls. (laughs) So I don't know how true that is, but if it is true, it's amazing. Oh, my God, please. Yeah, I need need it to be true. Um, The... Just rounding up like the the rest of the Premier League, uh, West Ham with a with a win over Leeds. Poor Leeds like just cannot find a a they can't hold on to anything. It was a Rafinha opener and then a Junior Firpo own goal uh, and then Mikhail Antonio wins it in the 90th minute um, for West Ham, who they continue to find a way. Leeds continue to find a way to not get results, yeah. um, despite being like pretty good like overall in the game <laughs> like they probably deserve something <laughs> um but that's been the story of Leeds. Watford and Newcastle nodded at 1-1 um which was far less interesting than Alan Sa- Sam Maximan tweeting uh, that video up from FIFA 22 of Steve Bruce outrunning him um <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think he I think his comment was why excuse me like EA why do I have 91 pace and Steve Bruce has 99 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> he's the best follow like yeah. ever if you do not follow alan sal maximan on twitter like you need to regardless of your fandom like sunderland yeah. fans should be following him yeah well then they not. do he does drag he drags sunderland a lot though <laughs> yeah to the point where they're like you know what fair play yeah oh <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, Wolves, Wolves got a one, no win at St. Mary's, um, against Southampton, big result, not just for Wolves, like getting a win and maybe, maybe they're least deserved, uh, in terms of like, they've had results that they definitely deserved a win in more. Um, but big because they get the three points even bigger, maybe because Raul Jimenez is back on the score sheet. Yes, yes, they've been a shadow of their former selves without him, and it's really, it's really nice to see him scoring again. He will be wearing that headgear, I think, for the rest of his career. But um, yeah, I, I, putting my U.S. men's national team loyalties aside, I'm happy to see him scoring again. <laughs> um, well, that is it for the Premier League. Mika, shall we shall we travel to sunny Spain next? Indeed, let's do it. <laughs> Mika La Liga, it all kind of starts with the shock result of the weekend. Like maybe in the whole world, the shock result. Um, <laughs> Deportivo Alaves won Atletico Madrid zero. Yeah, listen, guys, if you don't watch La Liga, <laughs> Alaves are garbage, <laughs> <laughs> and they are probably going down, and they beat the champions one nil yeah uh with a i think it was vincent laguardia victor laguardia fuck what's his name laguardia with a fourth minute strike i i just this defies specker's belief i don't really know how this happened and (laughs) i (laughs) i watched it and i don't know how like you watched it you watched the whole thing (laughs) oh no i watched the second half once okay yeah um but I I also don't know how it happened to be quite honest like there's just <laughs> there's this is I mean we just got done talking about Norwich this is literally guys this is if this Norwich side which is winless in 6 beat Manchester City like 
it, not in terms of attacking like the the style of play, but just in terms right. of the golf inequality yeah. and class. Bottom yeah. of the table, like rooted to the bottom, no goals. Alaves had not scored this season until they scored this one against <laughs> against Atletico Madrid. Diego Simeone, like I know when I'm planning out my season, I often think well, we haven't scored any goals yet. I'll probably get one against Diego Simeone. You know, I think they scored one. And it oh, was actually against, I think it was actually against Real Madrid, like early, early in the season. But other than that, yeah, they just scored the one. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, yeah two goals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Atleti had 71% possession, and yet somehow Alaves came out slightly ahead on XG. Um, my concerns, they were that they don't have enough goal scorers. Last time, Luares had to save them against another bottom dweller in Getafe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I, I let the air just not playing to their full potential right now. And half their shots came from outside the area, which I think is troubling. Um, cause they're not getting in good positions, obviously. So yeah, I don't know what the answer is for Atleti there. I think, uh, yeah, they probably. I don't know why they didn't go for Rafa Mir or another striker. Um, they they went for Mateusz Cunha, who's obviously quality, but I don't think he's an out and out forward. I think he's more of like a foil for a, a forward. Sure. Um, so yeah, just a little bit concerned with Atleti there, especially because Real Madrid are are starting to, you know, not putting in a lot of separation, but they are back on top of the table and uh, finding ways to win. So. Well, at the rate he's been scoring, they should have brought they should have gotten Falcao because Rio Vallecano go out and win three one against Cadiz and uh <laughs> Falcao scored again. He's got three yep. and three. Three and three. And and Rio Vallecano have scored more goals in Barcelona this season. So <laughs> stick that in your that. pipe and smoke it. <laughs> They look good value for it too. Like they're not just like scoring every shot or anything like that. Like they're they're dominating teams like Cadiz is not like uh you know they're not garbage they've they hung around La Liga for a while now and um yeah, yeah Rio Rio like out possessed them outshot everything like really asserted themselves and I think obviously there are sterner tests to come for this Rio side they play Barcelona and Real Madrid in the next like two weeks so Ouch. they've got like a rough they've got a rough stretch in terms of in terms of being tested but so far in the teams that like you need or you should be maybe competitive with if you want to survive Rio's like definitely passed those tests so far for sure for sure Antonio Arola is doing an incredible job and you know they might be able to get yet another win before they face the two Spanish giants because I think they go to Osasuna next, and and Osasuna have been really poor at Osasuna. So, yeah, maybe the good times will continue to roll for the Vallecas <laughs> side. But yeah, um, you know, like you said, there will be hard tests. Cadiz have conceded, I think, the second most goals in La Liga. So, um, you know, we got to beat the teams in front of you, and I think they're, I think they're going to be fine. I think they'll survive. I think Getafe and, and Alaves are much worse to be yeah. fair. Speaking of Hitafe, Betis to Hitafe nil. Um, William Jose couldn't do, couldn't do a thing uh, when he went to wolves, but for Betis, he, he looks, he looks uh, like he's, he's back, back at home. Yeah. Yeah. I was skeptical of the signing because I had seen him at wolves and it was just, not working out for him. Um, 
he's been really good. <laughs> he's been really, really good for Bethes. I think actually every every signing Bethes have made has been good. I think Hector Bellerin's been excellent uh, since he started as well. And and um, you know we were Bethes were able to to sit Canales for the whole second half because we were just comfortable. Yeah. Um, Hetafe not good. Like I don't know what it's going to take for them to sack Michelle. He's just not doing it for them. Uh, and yeah, they will go down if this continues because um, they they just don't offer anything. Like they, they're not even the hard nosed defensive side that they used to be under Jose Bordelas. So yeah. I, I, I don't know. Something's got to give there in Hetafe. Um, yeah. Going the, the complete opposite direction of, of their neighbors, uh, Rayo. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as you said, Hatafe rooted to the bottom. Um, similar story. They're now now the pressure's really on for Michelle because Alves got a result. So <laughs> they're the only winless team <laughs> like or the only officially pointless team. The, worst. the only yeah. pointless team because Granada also has not won, but they have drawn three times. Um yeah. as has Levante, four draws, no wins. Um yep. so uh so yeah, I think Hatafe like it's really interesting because of because of what Hatafe was able to accomplish last season in terms of being quite comfortable, like mid table and everything. Um, I, I just didn't anticipate them like falling this far so quickly, I guess. Um, but yeah, looking, looking uh, really, really grim for Hatafe early doors. Um, and yeah, around the league, uh, Valencia won one against Athletic Bilbao. Um, red card in this one for Valencia, um, and and despite the the man disadvantage, they were able to find a, an equalizer in the ninety fifth minute. Um, Andre scoring uh, that one, and it keeps Valencia just one point off of, of Barca. So there's <laughs> something to be said there. There you go. Um, no, I think, I think from what I can tell, and like, I've only caught glimpses of, of Valencia here and there, but the Bordelos hire does seem to be doing the trick of getting Valencia out of like meme territory. <laughs> Yes, yes. I think they the the players seem to have really taken on board his style like readily. Um and uh yeah, they're they're doing fine and, and I think fine is what most Valencia fans want at this point. They just want a little bit of stability and they're getting that out of Pepe Bordalas. Um even dealing with a, a couple of big injuries, Carlos Soler unavailable with a back injury, Gaia uh also unavailable, so they're mm-hmm. they're making it work. And I think this is a perfectly fine result. I did think it was interesting, though, that at the end, Marcelino was, like, grinning. I'm like, dude, you didn't win the game. Like, you coach athletic club. Like, he yeah. was just <laughs> greeting all the Valencia players and just so pleased for them. And so that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of, I don't know what the Valencia board felt about that. But, <laughs> yeah, that was fascinating, to say the least. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird one. And, like, yeah. No, no, yours are the ones in, in red and white, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of red and white, uh, Sevilla, 2-0 winners over Espanol. Um, pretty routine stuff um, yeah. for Sevilla. And uh, 
you you commented Rafa Mir, who you mentioned a little bit ago, um, on the score sheet once again for Sevilla um, and Yusuf in Nasiri, the uh, the other goal scorer. You said over the weekend, uh, and I'm trying to recall about Espanol. There only being room in in La Liga for <laughs> Espanol <laughs> or someone, and not both. And I can't remember who it was. Getafe. Oh right. <laughs> it was a it was a follower of ours who said, you know, we can only have one or the other, and I was like, that's a very fair point. <laughs> and um, personally, I'm okay. Vespaio go back down, but I mean, whatever. <laughs> um, interesting result this weekend: Real Madrid nil, Villarreal nil, and. This one like kind of caught me off guard because Mika in the group chat, you were like, I'm rooting. And on Twitter, you said like, I'm actually rooting for Madrid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hopefully I don't upset anyone with this, but I just feel like Villarreal needs to be knocked down a peg. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like that's so like villainy of me. I know because they are this like, you know, likable squad, like Unai Emery's like redemption story after the disaster at Arsenal. And they, they beat Manchester United in the Europa league final, which like everyone loved that. Right. But it's all the, like all the like romanticism after that. I'm sick of it. Like, stop, (laughs) stop. Villarreal is turning into like leads where it's like, Oh, my second team is blah. Like, no, (laughs) like they are not, like they are plucky underdogs, but at the beginning, then again, they're not like they are owned by a billionaire grocery magnet. Like, yeah, you know, he did grow. He is a big fan of the club and grew the club as organically as one can do with, sure. with that much resource. But yeah, I was like, yeah, real. So they just need a little bit of a humbling every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's going to be controversial, but I stick by it. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> You know, nil nil against uh, Real at the Bernabeu is 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 a good result, I think. Yeah. Um. Probably actually going to be a little bit annoyed that they didn't win because Madrid were poor. Yeah. Uh. Vinicius Junior looked human. Um, Mon frère. A- Mon frère. <laughs> <laughs> He's playing against us. No, no, no. He he was just well defended. I mean, Juan Foyth had a blinder, like just completely pocketed him. Yeah. Um. And yeah, it, you know, for being a nil nil, there was a lot to like for the the tactics heads. Mika Mika's just made absolutely sick by the idea of Unai Emery and Francis Coquelin thriving. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just like subconsciously like, I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like if, I don't if you are gonna be happy just, with me, I'm just a little bit annoyed. If you aren't gonna be happy with me, you aren't gonna be happy with anybody. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Uh, no, it is a good result for Villarreal. And, and I think for Madrid, like the, this is one of those games where last season, like they stayed in the title race on Benzema alone. Like this is the type of game where they just looked to him and thought, okay, you've like, we've entered the last 10 minutes. Now it's time for you to get your customary winner. Um, and it didn't, it, it's just not always going to come like that. That magic is not always there, despite the fact that, that Benzema does seem capable of it. Um, And yeah, I just, I don't know this Madrid side similarly to last year. Like I'm just not blown away when I watch this Madrid side. And I just think it's 
I think it's going to be another like long year for them in terms of like they're going to have some results like this. For sure, yeah. I mean, defensively, there's big issues there. Um, you know, I think everyone could see that losing Ramos and Veron in one window is a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Nacho, I think, has been a good servant to the club, but he's I, he should not be starting for Real Madrid week in, <laughs> week out. Eder Militao, I think he can be that guy. Sure. Um, but probably needs a steady hand next to him. So, you know, while they are like out here twerking for Mbappe, like I really think they need like <laughs> they need to really shell it out for like a Milan screener or someone like that. I don't sure. know, like a world class defender because, yeah, yeah, they've just lost so much back there. And and yeah, maybe a uh, maybe a top Soba. He's wow, a ne- that's a shout. It's the next big one out of He's out of Leverkusen. Really yeah. He's excellent. Um, but on the other hand, Barcelona, 3-0 winners against Levante. And I'll hold my hands up and admit that when I saw the lineup announced for Barcelona, I thought, this you can chalk this up. They are not getting anything out of this. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, they did. They went out 3-0 win. And probably the wholesome moment of the weekend came out of yeah. this game. Yeah, and Sufati. On his return. His, on his return with the number 10 on his back. Scoring, right? He scored, right? <laughs> yeah. Scored a, that up? <laughs> scored a screw. You have to watch it. It's okay. like, it's so good. And it's just, it's like, yeah. it. You definitely could not have, have known that the kid sat on the sidelines for a year. Really? He looked that good? Like just okay. right back into it with he only had 10 minutes and he scored and he scored um ran over and celebrated with the with the team doctors like that was that was a celebration it was unbelievable wow well wholesome 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 content absolutely he's he's the future of that club for sure yeah he and he and pedri i think yeah they barcelona like it really is almost unfair for a club that's been as poorly run <laughs> as Barcelona to be blessed with this sort of just like recharge of generational talents where yeah. it's like, Oh, like you needed a, like a, another, whatever, Iniesta, like here's Pedri. Oh, like <laughs> one of your all time, one of the all time greatest players to ever play the sport just left. Here's a wonder kid who plays his exact position. Right. Like, it's unbelievable. They don't deserve this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There was hurt in that one. I heard it in your voice. Uh, Yeah. Um, Elsewhere, like, this was actually a really fun game to watch that was on, like, early in the morning, so nothing else was on on Sunday. Osasuna 3, Mallorca 2. Obviously, two teams that it's going to be like kind of touch and go for the entire season of whether they're able to remain in La Liga or not. But um, but yeah, Osasuna like able to overcome overcome the deficit and and, uh, end up winning this one with a Javi Martinez 88th minute winner. Um, Mallorca, arguably the better team, but in the end, Osasuna able to get the result. So, yeah, yeah it, it was a fun one. Like, just a lot of goals this weekend. <laughs> a yeah. Lot of, yeah. A lot of games playing out to these three twos. Um, so, no exception. 
Um, Sociedad got the win 1-0 over Elche. Um, and today, this one might on its face like seem a little innocuous, but Celta Vigo eking out a 1-0 win over Granada. Uh, Dennis Suarez, 94th minute winner on a Monday night in Galicia. Um, and it's big because it pulls Celta out of this like three point mire or, you know, three to four point mire that they were in. Um, and maybe we see a kickstart to the season for Celta. Cause I think we were collectively starting to worry about them a little bit. Yeah. I mean, cause the, the start was not good. Um, but it looks like possibly they're building on what they did against Levante uh, with the, you know, they left it late, obviously, but I think, yeah, there was a concern that maybe Kude's tactics had been found out now that he's, uh, you know, going into his, his second season, I guess at, at Celta Vigo. So yeah, something to build on. Cause I think there is quality in that side. Um, but yeah, they just need to keep going. All right. Well, um, that does leave the La Liga table. It's, it's it's still obviously extremely early after our talk of concern for Madrid. They're still top. Um, Sociedad are a point are a point behind. Um, maybe another one of those from Sociedad where <laughs> they hang around the top of the table and then we they desperately claw to try to finish in the top half. Um, Sevilla, Atleti and Rio make up the top five. Um so wow. an interesting start. Barcelona hovering just outside with a game in hand over Rio, to be fair. Um, but yeah, and Betis, Betis in seventh um, level on points with Barcelona. So um, still still plenty to be said in La Liga. And I mean, if last year's any indication, this is going to once again be like a extremely interesting league from top to bottom because it just seems to stay so ridiculously close like all the way through the league for sure yeah I I think uh, you know Madrid or I think who I picked to to win the title but I think it'll still be tight all the way through I Liga as I say I Liga (laughs) (laughs) um well I think we'll take another quick break and then uh back with some Serie A Serie A with the I mean this this match it it was criminal because it kicked off like half an hour after the North London Derby kicked off. But another capital line Derby, uh, the Derby della Capital in, in Rome, um, Lazio and Roma squaring off. And obviously Jose Mourinho against Maurizio Sarri, lots of like narrative here. There's the Chelsea, <laughs> former Chelsea boss connection. Um, yeah. And, Lazio, like the story of the season so far has been Roma, you know, the surprise package and, and playing like so positively and, and playing well under, under Mourinho. Sorry. On the other hand, like having a little bit of trouble getting Lazio going, like they had a little bit of a, like they, they stumbled out the gates a bit. Um, maybe not like gelling that well and maybe having some issues and it is Lazio, the, Bianco Celesti, who see out the the win over their rivals in despite being underdogs. And uh, is this a case of, of Maurizio Sarri needing the occasion to, to kind of kickstart things with Lazio? Or 
is this kind of just just Darby things? <laughs> it's hard to say. I and, you know, full disclosure, I didn't watch this one live, but I did take a look at it later <laughs> on after the North London Derby, and um, I'm just. By scoreline alone, I'm I'm tempted to chalk it up to you know hashtag just Darby things, but um, Roma's high line got exposed time and time again, and and the goals are really they're nice by Lazio, but they're weird. Like I yeah. especially like Milinkovic Savage where he gets like completely clocked by Rui Patricio yeah. <laughs> on the follow through, wow. but like, like the way he was squeezed between. Uh, Mancini as was really surprising. Like a Mourinho side usually isn't like making fundamental mistakes like that. So yeah, um, yeah, I don't know that they that Mourinho's fully gotten his his defensive uh, tactics across to the team just yet. But um, yeah, I mean it's a big win for Lazio, and this is one of those derbies that is maybe a little bit underrated because Serie A is not you know everyone's cup of tea, but it's definitely one of the best fixtures in world football for me. Um, you know, Lazio fans will point to arguably having more recent success with having won Coppa Italia recently, but sure. Roma of course will, will look to their, their champions league exploits having reached that semifinal, um, you know, at Barca's expense all those years, you know, a couple years back. Um, so yeah, a lot of storyline here. Yeah. Roma, it could have gone the other way too, though. Cause Daniolo had a couple shouts, probably, probably should have had two penalties. He does get the one. Yeah. Um, and he was also, you know, Blocked by the post from scoring. Right. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean... <laughs> Pepe Reina makes was... a really good save late on, too. Um, yeah. I can't remember who was cutting in from the right, um, who nearly scored a, like, unleashed a wicked shot, and Pepe Reina makes a really good save. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely, like, balanced on a knife edge, this one. For sure. And Mourinho did say this week, you know, just wait, like, <laughs> kind of menacingly like i'll i'll be toxic soon and yeah. i don't know maybe it's coming i don't know <laughs> you know they they had that one stumble and who did they recently lose to before they bounced back to Udinese? uh hellas verona of course yeah um another three two score line so i don't know maybe we're gonna see the real Mourinho soon i don't know <laughs> i well if there's any cause for Mourinho to start getting toxic it's a former player of his, Pedro, scoring for uh, for Lazio, having just had his contract like terminated by Roma, um, signs for the Crosstown Rivals and becomes only the third player in history to score in in a uh, Derby della Capitale for both teams. Wow. He scored for Roma against Lazio and now Lazio against Roma. And only three players in history have ever done that. Um, it was a nice, nice goal, too. Like, he he side-foots it into the corner, but somehow gets, like, insane power on it. Like, you would think he put his laces through it. Yeah. But, no, he takes it with his instep and really nice goal. It's wild that he's, like, still capable of playing football. Um <laughs> <laughs> like at such a high level, um, given his age, you know, I think it just feels like he's been literally doing this forever. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah, yeah. So obviously no, so we're saying no panic in Rome yet, but, uh, or for Roma yet, but, um, but Jose, maybe just, maybe just simmering a little bit now. 
Oh boy, we'll see. <laughs> well, looking around the league, like this was actually like a pretty fascinating weekend in in Serie A, and just a lot of a lot of interesting results, um, a lot of talking points. I think the other the other marquee matchup in terms of recent history, obviously the the reigning champions Inter Milan um, against Atalanta in the San Siro, and two two. Um, the score line Atalanta has had a little bit of a stumbling start. Um, but after a early Lautaro Martinez goal, Atalanta actually roared back with like a quick fire double from Malinowski and, and Rafael Toloy. And then it took an Ed and Jekko equalizer in the 71st minute. And Atalanta like created quite a few chances in this match. I think they end with like 20 something shots. Um, which is actually they outshoot Inter um, at home, which is is quite the feat, and maybe signs of life a little bit. Not not that Atalanta has been objectively horrible, but maybe a little bit below the standard that they that they would have held for themselves. Is this the type of performance, like, or the type of match, maybe where they can kind of get things like get things going again and get back up into that European conversation that they've been part of for the last three years? Yeah, I think it was always natural for the Magic to kind of wear off a little bit for Atalanta. It's it's taxing to play that that really intense attacking style. Um, but they are unbeaten, I think, in three or, three or four now. So, you know, signs are looking positive so far. Actually, you look at the, the advanced stats and Inter have nearly four XG. <laughs> so you might oh, even wow. say Inter are a little bit unlucky. Yeah. In that their their shots were much closer in, um, but uh, yeah, uh, I think it was a fair result, I guess, on the on the balance of things uh, for both sides, both very talented attacking sides. So um, maybe Inter will be a little bit annoyed because I think that leaves them third, um, yeah. you know, notably behind AC Milan just a bit. So, um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how they they're both in Europe this season, so they have that to contend with as well. AC Milan, actually, I mean, it, it is worth worth mentioning to their game against Spezia. Um, one, Daniel Maldini scores for AC Milan. Um, so, wow. yeah, just one of those moments uh, where whether you're connected to the club or not, it's just like it's a pretty cool, pretty cool moment. But um, Spezia actually equalized in the 80th minute and Brian Diaz scores in the 86 to win this one for Milan. And it, it was like that close to there being a little bit of a gap opening up at the top of Serie A. Um, as you know, if Milan dropped those points, they would have been a full four behind Napoli. Um, but getting yeah. that win, it keeps them with it. They keep pace and, and stay just the two points behind. So obviously not that significant since it's so early, but it is just one of those moments like that when you look back over the breadth of a season, you may you may say like, man, that was a really important goal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Genoa and Verona tied 3-3, just getting in on the action of this weekend being totally chaotic and everybody needing <laughs> to score as much as possible. And what's so crazy about this one is <laughs> Verona led 2-0 um, and then Genoa gets a penalty in the 76th minute. Domenico Crescito, uh, like converts 
And then Mattia Destro hits a hits a five minute double for Genoa to make it three two. Having trailed for seventy five minutes, they take the lead three two. And then in the ninety first minute, <laughs> Nikola Kalinic scores and <laughs> scores for Verona to to tie it. So just an absolute like mad closing to the game. The final ten minutes are just <laughs> absolutely insane. Um, and all of Genoa's goals came within the final fifteen. So yeah, it's just <laughs> just one Jesus. of those like wild. I don't know, just absolute scenes. Um, <laughs> Elsewhere, though, Juve, 3-2 winners um, against Sampdoria. And Juve have made things interesting this year in terms of getting results. They, they're they laboring a bit, it seems. Um, but Locatelli scores his first goal for Juve, um, probably the story of this one. And Dybala was forced off with what looked to be potentially a pretty significant injury. Um, so... Hopefully not too bad for Dybala because, I mean, he's finally out from underneath Cristiano Ronaldo and maybe he can, (laughs) he scores in this one and maybe he can make a difference this year. But, um, but yeah, three, two, ultimately where, uh, Kondreva pulled one back for Sampdoria to make it three, two and kind of spare, um, or make it seem maybe a little bit closer than it was. But, um, but Juve do see out the win. Juve now 10th in Serie A. They've climbed out of the relegation zone. <laughs> God bless. <laughs> ten goals scored, ten goals conceded as well. So they're just like the definition of bang average. Yeah. <laughs> In every measurable way. Um, yeah. Fiorentina like continued their good start to the season with a 1-0 win over Udinese. And Fiorentina are fifth right now. Yeah, they've they've been pretty good. I mean, they've I think they've pretty much in their past five games they've beaten everyone except the champions Inter. So yeah, good for them. Shout out to they have Napoli next though. Yeah, that'll be a stern test. Indeed. And shout out to Jose Callahan who plays there. <laughs> He's still playing. <laughs> yeah, oh, shit. And he plays at Fiorentina with Lucas Torreira, which is just like a weird, oh, weird combo. I love Lucas. <laughs> um. And uh, let's see. Sassuolo got a win over Saler- Salernitana, which I think that's going to be just like a pretty common, <laughs> pretty common story for Salernitana. Un- unfortunately, um, they're another one winless along with Cagliari. Um, just, yeah, rooted to the bottom of the table. Sassuolo probably needed the win to be honest because they've been they've been pretty average to start the season the Locatelli transfer is impacting them pretty heavily I think um but uh Empoli 4-2 win against Bologna um Empoli looking like they're probably gonna stick around this year yeah one of the I think that's where Maurizio Sarri cut his teeth as a manager is at Empoli and kind of a yo-yo club as far as Italian football goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, light work. I mean, they did beat Juventus. It's so yeah. <laughs> a clean sheet against them. So um, yeah, they'll feel, they'll feel buoyed by that. Marco Arnautovic scored for Bologna because uh, he needed to remind me that he played for them. Um, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> when I saw that was, it, was definitely like, an under the radar one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, excuse me. Like, <laughs> Who right. plays for what? 
Um, he came anyways, back from China. How does that work? Yeah. <laughs> Did yeah. he play in China at all? Like, if whatever, if an Austrian <laughs> plays in the Chinese league and no one watches it, like, did it happen? Did it happen? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, Napoli two two nil win over Cagliari, and obviously, like, expected, but. Victor Osimhen has been like probably the story of the season for Napoli so far. He just absolutely cannot stop scoring. Yeah, Luciano Spalletti just knows how to manage strikers well. I mean, he's he's doing really well, and I was a little underwhelmed by the the signing, the appointment of him because you know it was okay in in previous jobs, but it seems to be really working out for him in Southern Italy. Um, I would love for Napoli to really make a, a serious title challenge. They tend to fall away. Yeah. Um, as the season goes on, but hopefully they can. I, I don't think they'll keep winning every week, but um, you know, all wins now in, in six, pretty good start. Yeah, and sixteen goals scored in six, and only two conceded. So yeah, they they've got something cooking um, down there in uh, <laughs> in Napoli. But we'll see we'll see how it plays out over the course of the season, um, and then. Uh, any any Americans default Serie A club Venezia one one <laughs> against Torino. Um, it was it was a sending off and and a penalty like for Venezia that that got them the point. Um, Torino like it seems like the story is like kind of similar in that um, they they feel like they're always riding the line between a win and a draw. Um, and in this one, yeah. like unable to see it out, unfortunately with the, the Gigi uh, penalty concession. Yeah. Yeah. Torino. I, I thought I saw something about possibly that being a destination for Ricardo Pepe, but we'll see. I, I would be down. Honestly, if Ricardo Pepe ends up anywhere in Italy, I'll be, I'm all in like, yeah. For sure. I think it would I think it would really suit him actually. Yeah. Well, and I, I also love the idea of um of him getting some time, which I think am I not mistaken, did uh did Belotti get hurt? Cause I don't Ooh. think he played in this one. I don't know. But I do really like the idea of Ricardo Pepe getting some time like training with Andrea Belotti, like, yeah, just as that, just to refine like some of his striking abilities, but yeah, he did, and and Simone Zaza is injured as well. Jeez, they have a big injury list in Torino. Yeah, um, and that's they have great. the Turin Derby coming up next, so that's not great. <laughs> yeah, not not good news, um, unfortunately for the the maroon side of Turin. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but so where does that leave us in the table? As we said, Napoli well, um, well on top at the moment, but, um, the Milan clubs not far behind, um, Roma in fourth, Fiorentina fifth, Lazio sixth, and Atalanta, uh, down in seventh, as we said, Juve, uh, in 10th. So that's the, the surprise. And then with, with the bottom of the table, I think Venezia, Venezia just like clinging to the points as they can claim them and hoping that there's a team that is worse than them come the end of the season. But um, Venezia, sure. more of a vibes, <laughs> more of a vibes club than than like 
I don't know. I'm hoping they can stay up. That's I'll, <laughs> that's what I'll say. Yeah, hopefully the uh, the money made on the shirts alone will help them reinforce <laughs> in January. We'll see. Well, I think that about does it for Italy. So, Bundesliga? Let's do it. The weekend in the Bundesliga, like, there was obviously, there's a lot going on at all times um, in the Bundesliga, but the one the one result that really like caught the eye and certainly caught your eye as a as a Foles fan um, was Borussia Mönchengladbach one Dortmund nil. Um, Mahmoud Dahoud sent off in this one as well, um, and Dennis Zakaria, the goal scorer for Mönchengladbach, really like. This one like shocked me not because because I you know Gladbach's a, a talented side they have good players but the way that they started the season was so, like very poor in many it ways. It was dog shit. You can say it, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> it was horrible. So like them coming out against Dortmund, who obviously they haven't been perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but they have seemed to like show up in these big games and they've played like some exciting stuff. They score a ton of goals for them to get shut out. And obviously it, it, you know, it's worth mentioning that Holland misses this one. Um, and, uh, you know, there's some, there is, yeah, there, like that is obviously a massive, a massive miss. Um, but for this Dortmund side to come out against a team that was pretty bereft of confidence, like coming into it. And for Mönchengladbach to, I mean, they, played well like they they deserved the win yeah yeah i mean i think it's totally fair to say that holland you know they didn't have their cheat code early brought holland yeah. <laughs> um they didn't have marco royce either so missing you know not only your giant battering ram of a goal scorer but also your your leader yeah um yeah i think it was just too much for for Dortmund on the day and it was just so sweet to beat Makahosa on his return to to the Borussia Park <laughs> given how he he left you know which you know it's not uncommon in German football this manager merry-go-round but right I know I speak for Foles fans when we say we were furious at the way that it went down um yeah like you said former full Mahmoud Dahoud is sent off Maybe a little harsh, but I don't know. It made me think that he must have said something to Dennis Aitken because he was very effusive in his his uh, body language with sending him off. So he must have said something, yeah. Um, you know, in reaction to the foul or whatever. But yeah, um, luckily the Zakaria strike is enough to get the dub. It's his, it's the first shot on target in the game, and it goes in. <laughs> um, so it, you know, it was our day. Yeah. Um, which it hasn't always been this season, so I'll absolutely take it, um, and hopefully we can build on that. And I, you know, at the risk of getting like overly critical of Dortmund, I think this is where actually we did have. I know we had a, a Dortmund uh, focused question, and I want to make sure that we get to it. I think I think what I'm about to say actually plays into it. So at Donovan Head asked how far how far do y'all see Dortmund going in the Champions League? I think what is tough about Dortmund is this is the type of game, especially with the, uh, all the stuff surrounding the occasion and all that stuff. And I think with Holland being out, it's an opportunity to show 
just how good of a team they are. Um, and I think demonstrating like a level of depth and a level of like, you know, not this over reliance on, on one player or, or a set of players, um, I think is really important in, especially when you're like looking to make a champions league run because suspensions mount up and injuries and, and all these sorts of things. And the idea that, I mean, they looked, they just did not look that good against a bunch of Gladbach side that has not really <laughs> impressed this season. And I think they were certainly up for the occasion, the bunch of Gladbach players and everything. Um, I just would have expected it to be, yeah, just more, more fight and more, <laughs> I don't know. I would have expected this Dortmund side to maybe assert themselves a bit more in, in a match like this. Um, and maybe it's a case where Adi, Adi Hutter's just been, maybe he's literally had this up on his calendar since, you know, the first, first day of the season. And this has been the match he's been looking ahead to. And that's why all of the other games have been so poor <laughs> from his <laughs> side. Cause he's just, he's been looking ahead to Ro- Rose's return, but um, yeah, I just, I, I don't know how I feel about Dortmund's prospects in the champions league only because I, I think on their day they can beat anybody in the world, but they're, their days become infrequent sometimes. And there's like stretches of the season where they don't have their day for a while. And I worry that if it comes at the wrong time, like they could crash out. Um, And I think with the amount of young players that they rely on, like the fact that, Oh, like Erling Holland's out. Now Makoko is in like, that's our replacement. Um, is, you know, this like Academy grad who looks like, you know, looks like he'll go on to do like really great things and, and looks like he'll have a, a career for himself for sure. But the idea that, Oh, well, our star striker is out. Like who is the next child on the bench? That's like, (laughs) it, it it just, it just doesn't seem like long-term sustainable in terms of like challenging for the league or the champions league, because you're going to need, someone to step up like in those moments when yeah, somebody's missing or whatever. And I think the other unfortunate part so far is that we haven't seen, like we haven't seen the best out of Danielle Mullen either. Um, and I think that's like the question that still needs to be answered too is, you know, what, what does his, or what does like good look like for Danielle Mullen? And will he get like some consistency if Holland, you know, if Holland's back, like, will he just like drop to the bench again and, or like, yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, I think their prospects are a little, a little iffy just because as it has, as has been the case for the last couple of years, there's just like, they have a re that their upside is huge, but sometimes they go missing for a few games. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I echo everything that you said there, Phil. And I, I would say too the thing about this Bruce Dortmund side that I find kind of fascinating is there's not, a whole lot of players in their prime in this Dortmund side. They're either very young 
Yeah, I mean, let me let me just put Holland to the side because some people would say he's already in his prime, even yeah. though he's extremely young. I don't even think he's in his prime. I think he's got so much more to offer. Well, and how do you measure terrifying? The, how do you measure the prime of a like genetically engineered robot from the future? <laughs> Fair, fair, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, the age profile of this squad is really interesting because you yeah. have, like, a lot of, like, elder statesmen like Marco Royce and Mats Hummels, um, and then, of course, like, the young guns. But there's not, not a whole lot, like, in the middle there. I mean, Torgan Hazard is 28, I think. Um, yeah, but, he, you know, he's not a starter, so it's, like, it's right. just a weird one. There's not There's not a whole lot in between. Um, and so I think the squad makeup is a little not off, but just like not 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 anything that I would really bet a lot of money on in the Champions League. I think they'll make it out of the group, but yeah, and and maybe in the round of sixteen. But I really don't see them going past the quarterfinal, to be honest. Yeah, they uh, they play Sporting um, Lisbon at home in the Champions League tomorrow, um, so they'll get a a nice test there. Um, but I think the real, in terms of their group, the best litmus test that they'll get is actually IX, um, in Amsterdam because IX has been absolutely <laughs> blowing teams away, um, including sporting in the champions league. Um, yeah. but in, in the air like the score lines are starting to get like borderline FIFA, um, for IX. So, um, I think I saw that they won a game like nine nil or seven nil or something like that. I think maybe both of those score lines are true. Um, so anyways, <laughs> like that will be the test for Dortmund is like, can you, can you stop this like steamroller of an IX team? But, um, but yeah, I think they'll make it out of the group as you said, but I think the draw, if the draws unkind to them, like they, they could, I could easily see them crashing out in the, in the round of 16 unfortunately yeah. um so just a quick roundup of other bundesliga other bundesliga action um bayern munich uh 3-1 winners over greuter first um this despite benjamin pavar being sent off in like the 48th minute <laughs> So <laughs> they played with 10 men for most of the game and still like pretty easy winners away from home. Um, I know we had, I had seen a question come through. I think it was from Donovan as well about, about anyone keeping up with Byron. I mean, do you think, do you think Byron run away with the, with the Bundesliga again? What would, yes. what would that be? 11 in a row? Yes, I think so. That's yeah. a question for your sister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, and like, I, I do think, um, even from, even from a neutral side, I just think like, well, actually the, the Wolfsburg result. And then I think the one main, the one main competitor over the last couple of years has been RB Leipzig. I think we know that they're not going to be as consistent this year. Um, although they do get a big result this weekend, um, I think the question mark, maybe like the dark horse, maybe they'll hang around, but they did this last year and then faded like hardcore is Leverkusen, um, who I well, actually really like the look of Leverkusen to be fair, but I don't know that they have the, the bandwidth to keep up with Bayern over the course of a entire season. 
Well, Leverkusen looked legit last year, and then they got beat by Bayern. Like, they beat themselves against Bayern and yeah. capitulated after that. Yeah. So there's just, like, a psychological stranglehold as as much as a table one <laughs> that Bayern has on the Bundesliga. So, yeah. Um, Wolfsburg, who had been hanging around the upper reaches of the table, 3-1 losers to Hoffenheim um, away from home, and... This was one of those where you're kind of like, okay, like back down to earth for Wolfsburg. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Hoffenheim are just one of those. They can be a bogey team for a lot of sides, and they did play better than Wolfsburg did. To be fair, they expect they you know expected goals and all that tell you that they should have won. They created more big chances, but uh, yeah, just one that Wolfsburg kind of needs to just brush aside. <laughs> Union beat Armenia Bielefeld 1-0. Um, Kevin Barron's in the 88th minute. And uh, and Union, back in the... They they want to hang around that conference league. Like, they're... <laughs> they're in it to win it. They want to... They they, they've tasted Europe, and they want it again. Hey, more power to... Uh... Leverkusen 1-0 against Mainz. And... Largely like an un- unremarkable result, like one of those like early season games where you're like, oh, good, you know, decent for Leverkusen, but really remarkable because Florian Verts scores yet again. And um, we have a little bit of a like Kai Havertz situation emerging in Leverkusen yet again. Yeah, I mean... Four assists five Bundesliga matches for the eighteen-year-old. Um, just turned eighteen in May, so like, yeah, a child. <laughs> um, he's he's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how Leverkusen keep finding these like generational talents, but they keep doing it. And uh, he is he's box office. I mean, he really is. Yeah, yeah, he's he, and it it it's. He's not similar to Kai Havertz in like any sort of like tangible way in terms of like the way he runs with the ball or the way that he dribbles or the way that he shoots or or anything like that. He doesn't really resemble Kai Havertz, but in this in the way that he just seems to be in the right place at the right time, like that's where he starts to for me like feel like Kai Havertz for Leverkusen. Um where He's not a striker, but he always seems to be popping up like in the box or like being the option on on a on a break. And in this team for Leverkusen, like he's he's thriving. Um, And I think actually like all of Leverkusen's attackers have been better for um, the way that they've played. Uh, and, And he's been the like primary beneficiary. Um, but shake and DAB like have been, have been fantastic as well. And um, yeah, I, I do think, I I think we're a, we're a handful of Bundesliga goals away from someone paying a, just a shitload of money for this kid. Cause he's, he, he's the <laughs> real deal. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Byron in his future, maybe. That's what that's what the papers are saying, but yeah. you never know when when Chelsea might table a bid, you know, for 
could be. Just got to have them all. Yep. All, <laughs> all the German, the Germans. Um, RB Leipzig, 6-0 win over Hertha. And I'm trying, Mika, to decide whether this is a, like, feather in, in Jesse Marsh's cap and, like, maybe a little bit of goodwill um, for him as he tries to, like, build this Leipzig side back up. Or is this, like, the customary just, like, meme result that Hertha have in them every once in a while? Yeah, I mean, Leipzig tend to beat Hertha, like, historically. They're they're pretty good against them, um, and Hertha are just, you know, the punching bag for a lot of people in the league without getting relegated somehow. Um, yeah, look, I, I mean, all the important players score, Nkunku, Poulsen, even Forsberg takes a penalty, and, and they chip in with, with some of the defenders as well. I think Mukiele gets a, gets a goal. So, I mean, everyone just chipped in on this one, and... I, I'm sure it relieves a little bit of the pressure for Jesse Marsh because it has been a rocky start. And uh, again, I think there are mitigating factors there, but you do wonder from time to time if this is maybe too big a job for him. I don't know yet, um, but I, I think people certainly are asking the question. So um, it's still too early, but it's a good result, all things considered. And uh, Bochum and Stuttgart drew nil-nil and... Uh, in in the emotional moment of the weekend, I think Freiburg uh, won three nil over Augsburg, and it was the last game for Freiburg in their um, Schwarzwald Stadion, uh, like the Black Forest Stadium that they've played yeah. in for a long time. And um, Christian Strike, who is the manager of Freiburg and has been at Freiburg like since he was like a kid, basically, <laughs> like yeah, Freiburg um, icon. Yeah, he uh, shared a really some really special moments at full time um, with the fans and just like saying farewell to the stadium basically as they move into their new their new digs. Yeah, the the vi- I retweeted it from Hardcore Football. The video of him like tearing up is really touching. Yeah, uh, he's a he's one of the best like most wholesome personalities for sure in the Bundesliga. And. Yeah, so as as we said, the Bundesliga is left like Bayern top, um, Leverkusen, then Wolfsburg, then Dortmund, and then Freiburg in fifth. So Freiburg uh, putting in putting in some work early 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 days. Mainz also up there, um, and uh, I think the Shockers are like further down the table. Uh, Leipzig tenth, uh, Gladbach eleventh, uh, Stuttgart who started or, you know, who played so, so well last season down in 13th and Eintracht, um, just una- unable to figure it out so far. 14th. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> the Europa league proving a challenge, I think for Eintracht, like being in That's Europe can, uh, can drag teams down. Those Thursday nights are, they can be rough. Um, well, I wanted to just touch on League Un briefly because one of my favorite games to watch this weekend was <laughs> Olympic Marseille versus uh, RC Lens, and like going into it, Marseille obviously under San Paoli have been really, really fun, really good to watch. Also, 
perform, you know, they've been getting points uh, pretty consistently, especially at home. And uh, Lance turn up in a green and black stripe vertical, like vertical stripe kit, just full Sassuolo, whatever, drip thieves. <laughs> um, and Lance win 3-2. Lons are a problem. I think they're like second in league all right now. And yeah, I mean, they've had a couple of pretty impressive results recently. Obviously, the Derby victory in that absolute shit show against Lille. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, big scalp getting a, a win over Marseille. I think they beat Bordeaux recently, too. Um, yeah, they're they're a problem. <laughs> um, and uh, I, long may it continue because I, I like to see some of the northern French sides doing well. I think you hear a lot about the Nices and Marseilles and all, all that, and of course sure. PSG. But you know the North, I think, is is often overlooked a little bit. So um, even though I my my sympathies are with Lille, um, you know who are Lance's mortal enemy, it's still it's still <laughs> nice to see. Yeah, this one was cool because obviously Lance earned a penalty early on to take the lead, um, and then Frankowski the. <laughs> As you said, <laughs> Chicago Fire legend. Uh <laughs> Frankowski was playing was playing like right wing back um for for Lance, cuts in onto his left foot and unleashes just an absolute pile driver into the top corner. Um and uh yeah, wasn't really even sure how to react, to be quite honest, to to him pulling that off. But um yeah, just an absolute banger. Then a couple minutes later, Dimitri Payet lines up a free kick, scores that. Um, and I'm thinking, like, <laughs> always watch League Un. Like, Facts. These, these games, like, for a crazy weekend, it was just, like, banger after banger. And, like, the fans are going nuts. The velodrome was absolutely rocking when Payet scored those those two goals. And like, obviously Lance come out the winners. Um, Wesley Saeed scores the scores, the winner. And for Lance to be pulled back like that, being two nil up, being the underdogs, you, you know, you're in that like most dangerous lead in football territory. You get pulled back to two, two. And at that point you're thinking like the momentum's with Marseille. They have the chance, like they have the best chance to go on and win it. They're the favorites. And then they Lance come out with the, with the winner and just show the show the fight. Um, and yeah, they leapfrog Marseille into second. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to have much impact on like the final standings in terms of PSG are out for blood. It seems um, having <laughs> not won the title last year, um, they seem absolutely hell bent on, on regaining it despite some of the, uh, internal like turmoil at PSG, um, Mbappe reportedly not, uh, yeah. not thrilled with his, his boy. Oh, right. Yeah. He said when I get into that position, he doesn't pass to me. Yeah. yeah. Talking about Neymar. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Neymar and co you laugh at the Chicago fire legend thing, but Premislav Frankowski has more goal involvements than Messi and Neymar combined. Hey, so, I mean, he's obviously the best player in the world. I don't know why you're like bugging <laughs> <laughs> and see MLS is just a uh, like 
viable source of talent. Um, <laughs> what? Like, I just want to know how that happened. Like, how do you go from Chicago Fire to RC Laws? Like, and he's not like by any means like finished. Like, he's twenty six. Yeah, it's really odd. Like, I think because he was playing in Poland when yeah. he was when he went to the fire. Um, so I think maybe, maybe he wasn't getting like any direct looks in Europe or whatever, but Mm. I don't remember him being, I mean, I don't really like pay attention to MLS that much anymore. Um, but I don't remember him being like, it wasn't like a world beater with the fire to earn. So he got this like cheap move. They, they like launched by him for like 2 million. Um, and yeah. uh <laughs> and Which now is like he's a windfall and a half for like an MLS side. So. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, he <laughs> uh he yeah, he goes right into this launch side that is playing like really good stuff. Um and and yeah, now they now they sit second. There's a there's a few though, like when you look through Lance's team, like there's a few guys who are like the cast offs, if you will, like Gail Kakuda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Former Chelsea man, if I if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, random. He was part of the lone army for the better part of a decade, if I if I'm remembering <laughs> right. Um Yeah. He went on out on loan like six, seven times. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, league league on um as far as like the other the other results or notable results, like PSG took care of business 2-0 against Montpellier. Um Nice beat San Etienne 3-0. Um Lille 2-1 over Strasbourg. Lyon stumbled, and I think Lyon, like despite a really strong start, Lyon have faded like rather quickly <laughs> over the last few weeks. Um, one, one against Lorient. Um, yeah, our, our personal favorites, Angers were not able to get the job done against Twa, um, who are my now mortal enemies. Um, I don't think anyone got like my, <laughs> got my like Twa reference over the weekend when they scored. And I tweeted like the Shakespeare quote, like the sins of the father will be, born by their sons or whatever, like <laughs> because yeah, they're owned city by city. Group. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, um, <laughs> and Claremont also got beat by Monaco despite taking the lead, which was unfortunate because I was just kind of rooting for Claremont to just keep doing a madness, but, um, but Monaco able to able to see that one out. So um, yeah, the standings in league and like all that really matters is PSG are like well on top and it doesn't look like they're going anywhere. Um, but Lance in second, like looking good value for it. Marseille now in third Nice up there and then Angers in fifth. So a lot of fun, like kind of unexpected teams up near the top, obviously with it still being early, but hoping some of them can be in the European conversation come the end of the season. That would be fun. Um, so that about does it for league Un. and Mika, we got one last little question here, bringing it back to the Western hemisphere. Copa Libertadores is in the semifinals and at Jay Konecki on Twitter asks, as someone with no rooting interest left, which teams should I be rooting for? 
to make for the most exciting Copa Libertadores final? Well, I watched the first leg of the semifinal between Atletico Mineiro and Palmeiras, and that was like terrorism for 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm so mad that I watched that game. Um, like, is, and I bl- is this football or am I undergoing like sleep paralysis? <laughs> yeah, it was so <laughs> bad. Um, and Hulk is my sleep paralysis demon. <laughs> Hulky, yeah. <laughs> Him and Diego Costa together. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. You can't see that, but it's funny. <laughs> Anyways. Um, I am like, Palmeiras is canceled because every time I watch them, like, it's just <laughs> dire. Like, and if you watch the Copa Libertadores final last year, you know what I'm talking about. Like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I. I'm rooting for their downfall now. Like, I don't care that they were founded by Italians. Like, get out of here. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I want an Atletico Mineiro. Probably, I, I'm okay whoever goes through on, on the Barcelona-Guayaquil-Mengao side of the the, the fixtures. Mm-hmm. But, um, either yeah, either one of those is interesting. I think I think Flamengo probably have it in the bag. You know, pretty decent lead. Yeah. That first, uh, you know, first leg. Um, and, yeah, they're... They've been winning a lot recently, so Mineiro, Atletico, and 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 Mangal would be a, a really fun all Brazilian affair again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just now Palmeiras, like get the hell out of here. I'm done with you. <laughs> <laughs> just stop bullying me. <laughs> like, yeah. I uh, no, I, I I agree with that, and I think the the stuff that that Mineiro's like played on the way. I think they mm-hmm. I think they deserve a shot at the final. I'm also intrigued by the fact that one, like they won their first Libertadores in like twenty thirteen or something like that. Like their first ever. Yeah. Um and they're on track to win their first uh Serie A like in like forty something years. Like I think it was like nineteen seventy three that they won it. Um Jeez. so it's been like a long uh, a long time since they've won a Brazil, Brazil. I can't even do that one. I don't know. <laughs> Brazil, I don't. Yeah, exactly. See, okay. So now all you <laughs> listeners understand what I'm going through, like with with I Brazilian tried. Portuguese. Like it's. I don't even know if I'm right, but I tried. <laughs> you're close, close enough, closer than me. Um, but anyways, <laughs> like their first league title in in a long time. Um, so I do I do love the idea of them potentially pulling off a double um, because they aren't one of the like, you know, traditional powers. And they're from outside of the major like footballing cities as well, like Sao Paulo and, and Rio. So it's just cool to see. um yeah, when when a team from elsewhere like <laughs> wins, not dissimilar to your to your shouts about like you know northern French football, you know football clubs versus South, like it's just like when you get when you venture outside of the of the major um, those two major cities, it's nice to see some some other cities claim the glory every once in a while. Yeah, plus I I just want to see what Kuka like rocks up to what he's wearing at the final because last year was incredible scenes like he's he's like deeply religious and like i'm not laughing at the religion part of it it's just like that's what you wear like okay yeah 
Well, when someone's like normally making a decision between like, okay, am I going to wear like the trainers and, and the track suit or am I going to wear like a suit? Am I going to like, or maybe, maybe I'll pep and I'll go like t-shirt or whatever. This dude will literally like, <laughs> he'll turn up with like, he'll wear like a full bodysuit as, as Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> Yeah, man. The, for maybe for that reason alone, you should root for Minato to make it through, so that we could see another Madonna child like yeah. shirt on the touchline. Oh man, yeah, it should be. It should be. And good. he got sent off in that shirt. Like, <laughs> are you trying to go to hell, referee? Like, oh man, that was. <laughs> the ultimate power move on behalf of like the referee <laughs> sending the dude <laughs> off wearing the Jesus shirt. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think, uh, Minero and, and, uh, and Flamengo is, is probably, probably the move, but knowing Palmeiras, they'll probably spoil it for us. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Mika, that brings us, towards the end of the episode um but we've got our our sounds of the season playlist to add to as we do each week um so each week we add a couple of new tracks um to the playlist it's up on spotify you can search it find it sounds of the season season two um and uh yeah it's just uh some some tracks that we enjoy from a variety of different like rock genres uh, matching that hardcore football name. So Mika, go ahead and uh, hit us with your hit us with your tracks for this week. Yeah, the first one I've gone with is um, probably the like most like pop adjacent song I'll ever put on the playlist. So don't don't like drag me too hard if you think it's like too soft. But uh, I've gone with a, a song called "Party Nights" by Strawberry Girls. Um, they're an, actually like an instrumental band, but they have a singer called Andres on the song, and it's just like a fun party song um and and that's exactly what i did after the north london Darby. so <laughs> i had to put something like fun on the playlist but sure. uh on the flip side of that coin i've, I've gone with a uh, burn it down by silverstein because i think there are a lot of teams that need to burn it down <laughs> even though it's early days they've probably needed to burn it down for quite a bit so yeah um i'll let i'll let the listeners decide who i'm aiming that one at but uh <laughs> those are my two what do you got phil um i uh i went with for the first one, I went with um, a song by a band called The Plot and You, who they've changed like quite drastically over their like lifespan as a band, um, and they just dropped a new album not that long ago um, called Swan Song, I believe, um, which uh, super interesting like melding of a lot of of different styles and just like really interesting approach to rock as a genre, I'd almost like post rock, whatever you want to call it. Um, but, uh, their, their like main single off of, off of the album is called face me. Um, and it's just like from a structural standpoint and like the, the different just like approaches within the song. It's, it's super interesting and just super catchy and like it gets stuck in my head. Um, so, and face me, I was just thinking like with all the Darbies and everything, like face me felt like a <laughs> felt like the energy of this weekend where everybody was going toe to toe. Um <laughs> and then uh and then 
on the flip side, like, you know, I have to include like the, the heavy, the heavy songs as well. Um, so I went with, I went with, uh, a song called forget me by a band called currents. And it was kind of this like face me, forget me, the, you know, the people who were on the wrong end of these Darby losses, like maybe there's some (laughs) forgetting to be done. Um, but yeah, currents, um, are just like, they're just one of my favorite, like, heavy bands um and they're just super intense and good for uh whatever like after a tough day at work or something like that on the commute home i just like work through my issues with some currents so uh but no forget me it's just a dope track and hopefully hopefully y'all enjoy it so um yeah i think that about brings us to the end i know we went like we went long today we did. I mean, we always do, though, because we can't help ourselves. So. No, we can't. If you made it here, like, legend. Legend. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I know, I like, I actually had a couple of people, like, in our mentions being, like, there was one time we released, like, an hour and a half long episode, and they were like, oh, it's, like, shorter this time. <laughs> and I was, like, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, well, I mean, if you want us to be self-indulgent and just, like, say whatever we're thinking for, you know, two-plus hours, then, like... I mean- don't have to ask me twice. Yeah, like, that's fine, I guess. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, hopefully you have enjoyed the episode. And if you have made it this far, like, you should probably definitely subscribe to the podcast because yep. you have the same whatever sicknesses that we do um, in terms of obsession <laughs> and, like, an addiction to football. So, um, so yeah, give us a, a follow or a like or subscribe, whichever, on on your podcast platform of choice. And uh, and check us out on Twitter at HXC Football. Um, hopefully, uh, everyone has a good rest of the week. Champions League to come, which we didn't even get to preview. Like, <laughs> so yeah, we'll no. probably we'll be back at some go. point to to talk about to talk about Champions League and how that's all panning out. But enjoy the football, and uh, and until next time, uh, yeah, enjoy, and we'll enjoy your week, y'all. 